and welcome to the Nitty Gritty Reviews podcast. I am Rachel. I'm Tristan. And today we're going to be talking about the 2003 indie dramedy Lost in Translation. This movie is written and directed by Sofia Coppola and stars Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. So before we uh, delve into the nitty gritty of this review by you know going through the grip, talking about what works and what doesn't, um, I wanted to go through and just talk about our memories of this movie, our associations with this movie, especially since it's coming up on its 15th anniversary a little bit later this year. Uh, seems like a good time for some some reflection and all that good stuff uh, before we delve in. So on that note, um, is there anything, um, you know, any memories that you have or you know, do you remember the first time you saw it, uh, anything of that nature? I remember watching it. I don't remember when or why, under what circumstances I watched it. So you didn't make me watch it. I guess that was <laughs> the gist of what I was getting at. I probably just watched it because I had Scarlett Johansson, to be honest. Yeah, and I don't want to get into too much detail because uh, we've got several categories of details coming up. That is true. Um, so I guess to start, I'll say I was kind of in the same boat. I saw. I didn't see it in theaters that I recall um, but I did see it probably within the first couple of years when it came out. I definitely feel like I was in high school when I first saw this movie. And it's one that I've seen a couple of times since then. And definitely one that has stuck with me as something that I remember liking. Um, but I'm really excited to to start going through some of these categories, especially the writing categories. Um, and a little bit of the acting and casting as well. Just because my, my perceptions of this movie have changed pretty wildly from when I first saw it as a naive teenager particularly naive I I had a fairly uh, well we'll get into it I guess Um, (laughs) I I was pretty sheltered I'll leave it at that and for now at least and um, so so I think my perception of what was happening in this movie and my my idea of what this movie was about uh, has changed with each viewing Um, and then with that said I still haven't I'm pretty sure it's been at least 10 years since I've seen this movie we've been together for about eight and I don't think I've seen it within that time frame so at least eight years yeah. probably since I've seen it. Um, so so I was pretty excited, and I'm looking forward to to delving into some of these categories. So on that note, should we delve into some of these categories? <laughs> Seems like it's time to delve into some of these categories. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> so the first category of the grid is going to be writing, plot, and genre. So I guess to start off, uh, everything was pretty much in the same realm for me, except for one standout that got higher than everything else. So I guess that was a weird way of introducing it. Cause before I get into what I gave stuff, what did you, was there anything on either the high end or the low end of the scale that was different? Man, I'm really awkward today. I've been watching that too was... many, too many Sofia Coppola interviews. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, let me, let me make sure I understand what you're asking. You're asking if, for the category of writing, plot, and genre, are there any outliers? Either yes. really high or really low. Yes. That are worth t- discussing. Thank you for interpreting my awkwardness. I guess there's one. And this one, some of these categories and subcategories for me were very difficult um, to place because I feel like this movie was trying to do a very specific thing, a very almost narrow thing. And uh, if it didn't hit one of your categories... Does that mean it's bad or does that mean it didn't care because it wasn't aiming for that? And it, it feels weird to judge a movie for something it wasn't aiming to be. You can always give something a high score for not needing to do something. 
I did that a few times. Yeah, that's one way of interpreting it. I don't. Sure. I I don't really know, but there was one. I, I guess the lowest thing for me in the uh, writing plot and genre category was the character outer goals, and I think that the character outer goals goals don't really matter for this movie. It's not about chasing money or or or. I mean, it's vaguely kind of sort of there, but it's not the focus. And it seems to me that the times when it is there, like Bill Murray, uh, his character Ben, getting that fax from his wife and then getting the message from his wife about, you know, missing his kid's birthday, but it's okay, he understands or whatever. And yeah, like we'll get more into that nonsense in the next category. It's mailing the, uh, yeah, <laughs> mailing those color swatches. And, yeah. like, I like burgundy, but whatever you like, <laughs> here's a bunch of different shades so, of burgundy. Oh, man. <laughs> And so, like, yeah, I guess his outer goal is to, like, escape from that, get a break from that. But, I mean, that's not really what it's really, really about. That's just sort of like an excuse. It's sort of like it takes place in Tokyo, but it's not about Tokyo. Right. It takes place within these relationships, existing relationships, but that's not really what it's about. So, for that reason, character outer goals got the lowest score for me with only five out of ten points. All right. It, it actually got, it was tied for the lowest score for me. Um, and the only note that I have next to it is that the, the character goals are almost non-existent in this movie. But uh, the reason I gave it a little bit of a higher score than you is because I think that's part of what makes these characters so lost. Like they are aimless. Right. They have no outer goals, not just small scale outer goals, but even big scale or maybe that should be reversed, not even big scale, but just small scale. Like they, they have right. no goals. They are lost. And that is what this movie is about. So I actually really appreciate that they don't particularly have outer goals. Um, so I gave it a seven. I didn't give it higher because I do still recognize that it could potentially have been a stronger script had they had even just, you know, something something of an outer goal. Uh, could have helped us identify with the characters a little bit more, could have helped given the plot a little bit more oomph or something or maybe it would have made it worse that's hard to say but anyway yeah i gave it a seven because i i really liked that even though they didn't have really any outer goals like that's part of what this movie is about right i I think that speaks to what i was saying earlier about how it's hard to judge some of these categories because the movie wasn't even trying exactly like it was intentionally not trying it's not like they just gave up how did you feel, uh, I'm asking because this was my other lowest score, also tied uh, okay. with a seven. How did you feel about the pace of this movie? This movie is pretty slow. And, well, I think I think expansive is a less negative term. It is slow for my tastes, um, but I think it's, it's aiming to be expansive. There's these, like, broad spaces of emptiness. Okay. And and that comes through in the sound, in the visuals, in the pacing. It comes through in so many ways. So I do think the pace is pretty slow, but it's not trying to be Liam Neeson jumping over a fence, <laughs> the yeah. most exciting thing you've ever seen, because there's 12 cuts in half a second. So it is, for me, very slow. But I, I didn't ding it. At all, really, I guess, because it's it's going out of its way to be vast and empty and expansive. 
Those are the only okay, yeah. words I can think of. That makes sense. Those are good words to describe it. I pretty much agree. It's definitely, I don't think anyone would really argue against us that it's not <laughs> slow. It, it is a slow movie. But what I like about the pace is that even though on the surface there's not much happening and mm-hmm. it does have that really slow pace, like there's a lot of lingering shots, not just lingering shots, but lingering yeah. shots of people alone. Like this is yeah. a movie about loneliness and isolation and people coming to terms with that by finding connections. And, you know, that's, 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 right. that's the whole movie. So I like that the pace contributes to that. And then even though it's slow, like every single shot in this movie is gorgeous which we'll get into yeah. later but the, as far as the pace goes i feel like the the beauty and the dreamlike nature of what we're seeing on the screen makes up for a lot of that and i also think that this movie just it just conveys a lot without actually telling us much if that makes sense um, and what i mean by that is like there's not much happening within the plot it is uh, expansive is a really good word for it where it's just you know, the plot points are few and far between. There's not that much happening. There's a lot of silence in this movie. There's a lot yeah. of, like I said, lingering shots of people alone, not doing anything, looking out a window. Like, there's yeah. a lot of that in this movie. But what those things tell us about the characters is is so immense. And, and it gets across these themes, like I said, of, of isolation, of loneliness. It's able to get those themes across really well that I think that trumps the the slow pace so to speak like it even though it's right, slow right. it it doesn't bother me at all like it's it's supposed to be slow uh right. it's and, the appropriate amount of slowness for what it's trying to convey exactly and i still i still gave it a seven which which exceeds expectations it's not a bad score by any means that's exactly what i gave it well there we go so yeah so it's not perfect it, it is uh and i think weirdly for me the scene, and this maybe goes more into editing. It's hard to tell because there's there's a pace in the editing section as well. And this is a movie right. more than most, where because so much of it was improv and so much of the story is told in these long lingering shots. It's hard to tell how much of those pace issues are writing and how much is editing. But for me, the scenes that really um, dragged it down from the outstanding range and kept it, you know, firmly out of seven are actually some of the comedic scenes with Bill Murray. I mean, he's hilarious. Yeah. He's great. Those scenes are fantastic, but they go on a little bit too long. Like there's the scene with the prostitute, I guess. She, I, mean, I guess <laughs> sure. she must be. Uh, I, I think she's credited as like fancy, fancy something. That sounds right. Like that scene was, was funny and, and awkward in just the right way. And it makes you kind of uncomfortable, but yeah. you're laughing. And then it's like, Oh, this is still happening. And then there's the scene in the hospital. That's what it's like, okay, we get it. He can't communicate. And it's kind of funny, but the funniest part of that scene was the people in the background, which we'll get to later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we will. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I actually had, I think, the biggest problem for me with Pace was not so much those lingering alone shots, but the right. those moments of relief that were more than just a moment and should have maybe been reined in. So you think the pace was not slow enough because there was not enough shots of people staring out of windows. That's what I'm hearing. That's not right. <laughs> that might be right for this movie. Or, or the movie could have just been 10 minutes shorter and just cut those comedic scenes in half. It doesn't necessarily need more of the other things, but just less overall. It could have maybe worked. Okay. Okay, well... For me, the outer goals was the lowest of five, and everything else for me got a seven. But, but mostly that's just because, for me, this is kind of a hard one to 
to, to pinpoint. This one especially, because the plot is so... So much of the plot structure is hinged on themes and ideas and, and characters, which we'll get into next. Right, um, right. It's... Far much more than getting to point A to point B. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt well, first of all, I was the one who was interrupting you, so <laughs> you don't have to apologize for inter- interrupting my interruption. But yeah, there's there's a lot of move. Well, there's some movies that, to me, it's it's almost like running a simulation. Like you set up these characters, you set up some ideas, you set up personalities, um, different versions of ethics, different thoughts about how to do things, whatever. You set up the initial conditions, and then you run it. And, and that's where the plot comes from. That's where the movie comes from. And it's really about those different ideas or personalities and how that plays out. As opposed to other movies where it's really like you have your plot points and everything is, you know, you have your uh, uh, your excitement builds and drops and builds and drops and climaxes. and Right. All, all those charts that you've seen in your <laughs> writing books or whatever. Um, sure. Whereas this one is very, very heavily, it seems to me, like 99.9% setting up the initial conditions, you know, thinking about feelings and certain relationships and and just kind of setting things up and then running the simulation and going with that. So actually the one thing that I had that was really high, I actually gave a perfect 10 within this category. um, And that was for world building exposition. Really? There's not a lot of it which I think is what I like so much. Like right. this, this movie could have gone into great detail, especially with the character exposition of like, like, Oh, here's Bob. Here's his wife. Here's how long they've, I mean, they have all that basic stuff. Right. We know they've been married for 25 sure. years and they have at least two kids that are young, which is interesting for how long they've been married, but that's about all we have for information. We don't know why they waited so long to have kids or if they, maybe they have 10 kids and that's why they have two younger kids. Yeah. Like we have no idea. There's so much we don't know. And even like, I mean, he, cheats on his wife with the lounge singer and with Charlotte, arguably, even though they don't have sex, like there's yeah indiscretions happening around every turn. And we don't even have any hint of like, is this the first time it's happened? Probably not, but we don't know. Like, but there's no, we don't get any history of right, these characters because right, right. we don't need it. It isn't, this isn't exactly. a movie about these past relationships. It's about where these characters are at right now and where the future is going to take them, specifically the future of the timeline of the movie, I guess. Like, it's this, yeah. this fleeting relationship, and how is this going to change them? You know, and so we don't need all that exposition. And even the world building of Japan, I think, was done yeah. really, really well. I say as someone who's never been to Japan, and, and never certainly never been to Tokyo specifically, like, I... Maybe it's completely inaccurate. I don't know, but it seemed like a really good introduction to the city and and the culture. And I don't know. We'll we'll get a little bit more into that yeah. into uh, in characters because uh, there's uh, well, we just will. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think that uh, my note for this is just that this movie says a lot without telling us much. Which I think I already said, but that we know everything we need to know exactly when we need to know it. Like right. it's just so so in that regard. I thought the exposition and world building was handled perfectly. Literally, I gave it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And, and maybe I should bump that up a little bit because I thought of two different things. Uh, one is that I know that sometimes when writers or screenwriters or whatever are making their stories or their character outlines, they'll go into like super detail. Like when this character was four years old, their cat died and they traumatized them. And, and you know, they prefer 
uh, watermelon flavored bubble gum and like all these minute <laughs> details. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the bad guy. That's what Darth Vader liked. <laughs> um, like go into all these minute details and I'm betting this movie did not have those details. What can I do that a little bit more in the next category? Cause I think I, I could had, be wrong. Cause I that's not my had... strong suit. And you definitely know more about that than I do. I mean, I think I think you're right in that she did not sit down and write character outlines that were that specific. But yeah. I'll get more into that in the next category. Right. I, I think there's more to the characters than meets the eye. I think there's probably more like emotional depth okay. or something. I don't know. I'm not even sure what that even means, but I said it. Um, the second thing that uh, really hit home as you were talking about it is this movie really is in the here and now. The past, yeah, it's there, it exists. The future, yeah, that's there, it exists. But it's really here and now. It almost reminds me of like uh, movies about like teenagers during summer when they have their oh, first yeah. crush. It's like very much like that. It's, it's Greece and Japan. No, it's not. There you go. It's <laughs> it's Greece in Japan. No, I know what you're saying though. I think you're absolutely right. So, what was your uh, overall? Well, okay. Before we get to that, yeah, I, just didn't want, I just didn't want to interrupt you. I wanted to make sure you were done. Because um, I do have a couple general questions. We don't have to get into like super details with this because I know we've been going on in this category for a little while now. Um, but I just have a couple questions that I'm curious because this is kind of part of where my my differences in perception from my teenage high school self and my 30-year-old oh, yeah. self kind of comes in. Um, so first of all... Well, I guess not first of all. I guess I really just have one question, and I think it'll branch a pretty wide... It's tossing a pretty wide net. Um, so do you think this movie offers an optimistic or a pessimistic view of modern romance? I, I asked myself that same thing, and this is going to come up in every single category after this <laughs> one. This okay. is by far the mopiest movie I think I have ever seen. Well, you need to watch some more independent cinema. It's no, I don't. I don't like cinema. independent. That was awful. That was so snooty. You don't need to watch more independent cinema. That was me just now. <laughs> yeah, that was. But that's that's how you have to talk about it. Yeah. And I, oh my god, it's so fucking mopey. It's like I wouldn't count it. Uh, it's mopey though. Cynical, maybe it almost had like a Daria vibe. But like, if Daria were a real person and a recent college graduate, no, Daria. She's mopey. I love Daria. No, she's uh, like... Cynical. She has cynical. I, th- I think she has like a quicker wit. There's more energy. It's That's because she's a high school kid. Wait till she turns 25. I mean, I've, I've met some people who are very pessimistic and very cynical, but they have a like, lot of energy like because... Me. Yeah. Uh, cause, <laughs> I didn't expect you to agree quite so wholeheartedly. Well, I've met... Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. It's fine. I am. Um, <laughs> but like a lot of the people that I've met who are super cynical are are actually deep down frustrated optimists, and so they still have a lot of positive energy. It just comes out really weird. And this movie has no, maybe at the last two minutes has some positive energy, but it's so fucking mopey, really? and all she does is just sit around the house in her underwear, which. Even seeing Scarlett Johansson walk around in her <laughs> underwear can't uh, detract from the fact that this is a mopey movie. Really? The soundtrack is so mopey. Every single category really? is so mopey all the time. I don't see it that way at all. This is the most mopey movie I have ever seen in my entire life. 
So is so so I guess what you're saying is you think this is a pessimistic view of modern love. I don't even know. Okay. It's mopey as shit, but then I, don't think I guess I the ending like I guess that's a positive ending. So I I don't know. I th- I think it's all about the ending and I I I don't know about the ending. Hmm. So you talked a lot about Scarlett Johansson's character being mopey. Do you feel like Bill Murray's character is also mopey? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, maybe Mopey is less appropriate. Although maybe that's just because he's an old guy. But uh, yeah, the uh, what's the phrase? Tragicomic? Yeah. I think he uh, he really started that with Rushmore. The Wes Anderson oh, yeah. film from 98 or so. I thought it was 99, but yeah, somewhere in the late 90s. Um, and he, he definitely hits that 100% with this movie as well. And yeah, I guess he's pretty mopey too. Cause he's just kind of moping about his wife and kids and just like sitting in a bathtub by himself, moping about some shit and then sitting on the bed, moping about some other shit. All right. So then let me ask, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but that, that wasn't the, I, I, yeah, I know. I can't, I can't answer your question for sure. I don't Do know you... if it's, I think it all depends on the ending. Like maybe life is just a bunch of shit. But relationships are the uh, the lotus petal that that, that uh, is grown in the muck and the mud, and uh, has a beautiful flower. Maybe it's like that. So it's mopey, but it's positive. Or or maybe it isn't. I I've been thinking about it for a while, and I haven't made up my mind. I don't know. All right. Um, so then another question then is how would you categorize this movie? Would you consider this a, I've heard it called a romantic comedy. I've heard it called post-romantic cinema, which I'm not entirely positive <laughs> what that means. I think you can just put post in front of anything. Um, and... I, so I think by post-romantic cinema, I think what that means is almost like a, a commentary on romantic comedies and like what does that mean in the real world. It's uh, kind of the gist I get, but I'm not a big romantic comedy. Because I think like 500 Days of Summer will fall into that same. Yeah, is that the genre theory or the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it'd be like what comes after as far as like deconstructing the genre and reanalyzing it within a realistic... I don't know, I'm making things up now. But anyway, so I've heard it described as that um, or just a, a romantic film, a love story. Like how would you... Other than Mopey, we've, we've well established you consider this movie Mopey. Other than that, like, how would you categorize the relationship and how that plays into genre, I guess? Or just how would you categorize the relationship? The in-movie relationship with Bob and Charlotte or... Correct. I don't know. It, uh, it feels like uh, Sofia Coppola was like feeling mopey one day, I guess. We'll, we'll assume that she was feeling mopey. <laughs> And uh, she went through, like, her high school notebooks of, like, shitty poetry that high schoolers write. And she came across some, like, really terrible, mopey love poetry. And she's like, yeah, How do you could... see this movie? This high school shitty love poetry? It's just... Is... You're betraying my trust a little <laughs> bit here. I mean, it's very well executed. And we'll get into that in other categories. But this is so mopey and just like I told you not to use that word with this question at least there's I don't know how else to describe it it's just like someone I, I don't know I saw the the interviews with Sofia Coppola and I I half expected like a 17 year old like dressed in black mumbling and staring at their yeah, feet the whole time I do think she at least if I don't know how she is now but at that stage it 
seemed very much like she was in a state of arrested development. Yeah. At, like stuck at 18. Um, and, and this movie, I think I, that really comes through to me. Oh at yeah. Least that's how I feel. We'll, we'll get more into that in the next category. I don't mean to keep like stopping you from talking and be like, next category, we'll get to it. No, I, but, I mean, th- these are themes that run through every single category, which is one of the reasons why this movie is so good because everything lines up perfectly right it's not it's not like the lighting is all sunshine and smiles and brightness and rainbows because that would not fit this movie yeah all right so the reason i asked um well first of all i was just curious about your uh your thoughts on as far as if it was optimistic or pessimistic and how you would categorize the relationship because i know for me like when i saw this movie in high school if you had asked me those questions in high school I first of all just asking do you think this is an optimistic or a pessimistic view on modern love like just that question I think would have like broken my brain because I (laughs) would have I would have sworn on everything I held dear that this was not a love story this is a story about two people finding a friendship and that's it it's yeah but I think as an adult there's there's not always a clear boundary between that and love no, and I think and, that's that's part of what's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. But I think I think what this movie explores is is that boundary in a lot of ways. I mean, it definitely is exploring, like I said before, isolation and loneliness. But on the other side of that, you have relationships. And I think what this movie does is it takes these two people, throws them together, has them fall in love, but they never, aside from you know whatever was whispered at the end, we don't know. But for the most part. You know, they don't, they don't proclaim their love to each other. They never say the words, I love you. They never sleep together. None of these typical beats in a love story, they don't sure. happen. But I think they still fall. And sure, they're like, yeah, it's only like a four or five day relationship, however yeah. long they know each other. He has nothing's ever going to happen. They got to go back to their regular lives, including their spouses. Like they have oh, yeah. their lives. Uh, but I think this movie does a really interesting job of exploring different types of love and even different types of romantic love that it doesn't always have to be like having a one night stand or whatever. I don't know why that's the only thing coming right, to mind, right. but that, that's usually these types of stories is like, Oh, they had a fling and it was like a sexual fling and then they go back to their regular lives. And this is the exact opposite of that where it's like, they have a fling, but it's purely uh, non-physical. They, I mean, they have. It's like ninety percent non-physical. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> there's some physical, but even but yeah, like it's... even kissing. They have one kiss, yeah. which I mean, if you went off and kissed some other girl, I would be very upset. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's still a still a violation, but yeah. And there's like it's... the elevator scene where they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna give you a peck on the cheek." Oh, I kind of almost missed. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very... Uh, they're, they're very, like, dipping their toes in the water. They're not jumping in the deep ends. Exactly. Yeah. So I just think this movie does, as far as if it's if it's optimistic or pessimistic, that I don't know, because their relationships with their spouses are very much so pessimistic. But then they find this relationship with each other that seems really optimistic. But then they have to leave each other and go back to their spouses. And where does that put view on modern love like it almost i don't think this is what the movie is trying to say but as i'm saying it out loud it almost seems like what am i trying to say like like their relationship with their spouses is almost like an older view of relationships and their relationship with each other is the modern view of romance and like with scarlett johansson's character she Uh like got married in college and stuff like her you know she got married at like 22 or 21 or however old she was supposed to be early 20s 
and now she's supposed to be with this guy forever, but he's kind of a douche and ignores her and is almost certainly cheating on her every second he gets, probably. You don't think so? I'm, look, I'm looking uh, at your face. I didn't get that. I just thought he was like a super outgoing. Oh, I think there was, maybe not with the Anna Ferris character, we didn't see enough, but there's definitely, I mean, he just disappears for a couple of days at a time and just his attitude. I don't know. I think mean, there's, there's like an 82% chance he's sleeping around, like every okay. chance he gets. But anyway, I don't quite know where I'm going with this. I just think it's interesting that like the first time I saw this movie, I 100% believe their relationship was platonic. And now I'm like, what was wrong with me? This is clearly something deeper than that. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. I don't know. It's just... But then as far as like, is it optimistic or pessimistic? I don't, I think it's particularly hard to say because this isn't a movie about romance. It's a movie about isolation and loneliness. And yeah, it gives like kind of a solution to that, but was it like, it gives a temporary yeah. solution and a sticky, nope, that's not the right word. I'm thinking of a sticky situation and that's not, uh, it gives a complicated solution a complicated temporary situation solution oh my god what <laughs> what do we need to take a break know. already it is really hot in here i i yeah because uh, i i kind of wonder would this happen if they weren't in tokyo would this happen if they were in new york would this happen if they were in la i don't think so because i think a big part of it is the the lost in translation aspect. Right. They don't have anybody else to talk to. So it's like exaggerating the, the isolation that they feel Absolutely. in their own personal lives and externalizing that they're so isolated over the top. Right. Charlotte even tries to talk to her friend on the phone and her friends like, I don't know, fussing about some crying baby or whatever. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Ben uh, is trying to talk to his keep, wife and she's calling him Ben. ben? It a few times you can edit it back. You can, you can fix it in post. Fix it in post. Don't leave that in. <laughs> all right. Well, now that that's all out of the way. So, what is your total score for writing, plot, and genre? So, one subcategory had a five, everything else had a seven, and the total came out to 6.6 exceeds expectations. All right, mine's uh, somewhat significantly higher than yours. I got an 8.1, outstanding. All right, so that's going to bring us to the next category, which I am really excited to talk about for this movie, and that's going to be writing characters. Are there any outliers for you within this category? Yeah. The highest one for me is character inner needs. I gave it a 9 out of 10, outstanding. Okay. What in particular did you like about it? That was like the whole movie. so so first of all yeah that's one thing it's the whole movie and secondly i think it did a good job of um sort of portraying it and conveying what those inner needs are without explicitly saying it like one of my favorite jokes in futurama is when the robot devil says you can't have characters say what they feel that makes me angry (laughs) uh yeah that's a great joke and this movie did a really good job of avoiding that i think even when they're talking to each other about their relationships neither of one of them says well no it's kind of shitty uh 
I really wish there was someone else who was a better match for me. So I think that's really interesting that that's, it seems to me that's such a huge focus of the movie and you don't have the characters just blurting it out. I agree. I, uh, I actually gave the character inner needs a perfect 10 out of 10. Uh, and my note next to it was the need for connection drives the whole film all the way down to the title. I guess the title of the film reflects their lostness or their disconnection. Right. The movie is about their need for that connection. Um, so, yeah, I just love that they're like they just need a connection. That's really all they need. Um, or maybe that's putting it too simply. They just need to not feel so isolated, yeah. which is just another way of saying they need a human connection, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, the character inner needs just drives the whole movie, like you said. And it's really well done, and I just I yeah. agree with everything you said. Okay. Yeah, so that said, was there uh, an outlier on the other side? Is there uh, anything uh, that scored lower than anything else? Yeah, there's two of them. Uh, two of the uh, five subcategories got fives for me. Okay, that's surprising. Which, which Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like I'm, I'm kind of rethinking it. Like I said earlier, I'll, I'll probably change some of these scores. Uh, the first one is character development. But now that I think about it, I, th- I think that goes back to what we mentioned earlier in the previous writing category is that there's no character notes on their favorite bubblegum flavor because yeah. that doesn't count. That doesn't matter. Who cares? It's not what sure. this is about. So maybe you don't have to develop the characters that much in like a placing them in the real world sense if that makes any sense as opposed to a uh their emotions and their emotional needs and uh, their emotional responses rather than their uh, taste bud response to watermelon bubblegum sure that's not what the movie is about right okay so for that reason character development does to me seem a little lower than the other subcategories but that still meets expectations for me. I still gave it a 5 out of 10. Okay. I was not disappointed with that. I think, like I said earlier, this, this movie is kind of hard to judge because it's it's so different in its own way, it seems to me. I, I don't know. Maybe if you took like a like the official beat sheet and you compared it, maybe everything would line up perfectly. I do think there are uh, beats to the movie. Yeah. It's just... Between beats, there's not much. Yeah. I, I bet you, I bet there's a standard beat sheet you could make. I can't, th- I'm awful at coming up with them on the top of my head. I have to watch the movie and like look at the time codes and, and write everything out. I'm like, okay, yeah, this totally follows everything. Yeah. So I think it could be done with this movie. It's just what's between the beats is, yeah. is so fleeting, which is part of what makes the movie so beautiful, in my opinion. Um, right. I, I, yeah, maybe you could, but I, I think even if you could, it would come out very different. Like, you'd have to kind of interpret things different and look at things differently. That's fair. I don't know. But for that reason, character development got a 5 out of 10. All right. I uh, disagree pretty significantly on that one. All right. Uh, I really, I'm pretty much, it goes back to the same things I was saying for world building and exposition. Like, I feel like we knew just enough details and we found things out at just the right times. Yeah. And especially things like like Bob's relationship with his wife. Like we get those little details. The faxes come in at just the right times in the plots. We're like, Oh, this is where his relationship's at. Oh, this is what's going on. Oh, this is how he interacts with his family. Like you just learn everything. And same thing with, with Charlotte's, you know, when she makes the phone call to her family or friend, whoever she talks to, like you get 
you know, you, you figure out what their relationships are like with all of the people in their lives, not just their, you know, their spouses through these brief moments. And, right. you know, yeah, maybe you don't find out the favorite bubble gum, like you said, or you, know, you don't <laughs> figure out, you know, some of the more, I mean, even things like outer goals, you don't really find out what these people want in life, but that's part of the point of that they don't know what they want in life. Uh, so I just feel like we, we know exactly what we need to know, exactly what we need to know. Just like I said, with the, with the last category. So for that reason, I gave character development a perfect 10. You did mention something that reminded me of something I wanted to say at some point, and I guess this is a good time to say it. Uh, you're talking about Charlotte talking to her friend on the phone, and her friend was like dealing with a fussy baby. Like none of the other people, they're, they're not like evil. They, or no. they didn't come across as evil. They're just kind of wrapped up in their own stuff. Right. Which we all are. Like sure. We all have to deal with our own stuff in our own lives. And it, it's almost like there's no there's no capacity for people who maybe need more. But okay. maybe like if you're on vacation, basically, uh, in, in some foreign land, and maybe that gives you extra capacity and that extra capacity for other people and that need for other people is what brings these two together. If that makes sense. That does make sense. But that, that is one thing that I noticed and I really liked is that no one is evil. There's no antagonist. Yeah. Which I always think is interesting when a movie has no clear antagonist or even protagonist. Like these are just people. Well, they're still protagonists. It's just the main character. They might not be heroes. Yeah. It does come to an interesting point. I'm, I'm mentioning this question because we just watched, before we started recording this, we watched a uh, interview that Charlie Rose did with Sofia Coppola when this movie first came out. And it was really super awkward for a lot of different reasons. But based on something he said in that interview, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> who, is the, who is the main character of this movie? I think that's a flawed question. Okay. Because as soon as you ask that question, like it has to be one... Like, how do you decide? Is it is it which actor was paid the most? Is it who has the most screen time? Is it well, who has the most dialogue? Let me rephrase that. Who, who is the main character or characters? Or who's the protagonist or protagonist? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Bob and Charlotte okay. are the main characters. But then you could get kind of loosey-goosey with it and say, like, oh, Tokyo is the main character. Oh. Feelings are the main character. But That's no, it's those I mean. two. You think they're joint main characters? I think they're basically equal, yeah. Okay, because I do too. <laughs> I'm asking, that interview is awful. If anybody wants some cringeworthy moments, Sophia Coppola says some great stuff. It was worth listening to or watching for that. But man, it was awkward. It was on the DVD, which is how I ended up stumbling upon it. Or no, it wasn't. It was on YouTube. Anyway, yeah. Char- yeah Charlie Rose and Sofia Coppola. Yeah, talking about Lost in Translation. And at one point he goes like, so there's this movie's about a man, which I find really interesting. I mean, there's a woman there too, but it's really about a man. <laughs> it was the most awkward, weird, like that was almost, yeah. that was almost verbatim what he said. I, I swear to God. And it's like, what movie did you watch? This is clearly a movie about a man and a woman. Right. Like, what movie? Oh, man, I find him so, so creepy. I, anyway, that's... If I give him the benefit of the doubt, like the maximum benefit of all the doubts, I think what he was trying to ask was, like, what is it like being a woman writing a male character? 
who which is was equal. Not, which was not at all how he not at all how he worded it. it. Like I said, that's like maximum benefit of the benefit doubt, of the doubt yeah. maximum generosity. Oh, it was an awful interview. That was anyway. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy for thinking that, that these two characters are the main characters. No, I, I think it's okay. flawed to think that there's one main character. Yeah. Well, I think that's just that presupposition applied to any movie is, is flawed. Because there might be one, there might be more than one. I don't know. There might not be any. There's always a main character. <laughs> so you said there were two things that you gave just a five to. What was the other one? Uh, the other one was the character likability. Okay, this is an interesting one to talk about with this movie. Yeah. Uh, one is that, I mean, Bill Murray, his character, Bob. Yeah, his yes. character, Bob, <laughs> uh, definitely cheats on his wife. So that's instant negative for me. And they're both kind of, sort of, like, I just... I'm not a big fan of the whole like emotional cheating. Like that's a thing. Like I don't, I think that's a slippery slope. And, and that. I mean, it's a slippery slope, but this movie does a good job of portraying it. Yeah. I don't know. So that, that knocks it down a little bit, but even without that, they're just so fucking mopey. God damn it. Just do something with your day. You're in Tokyo. They did. There's a whole like 20 minute sequence where they go out and party and. Right. And do that karaoke was. And... Yeah. They eat a lot. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I love eating and, and seeing things. And that was good. Do more of that. That's like half the movie. Ah, it wasn't enough. And I get it that Scarlett Johansson, her character was like the the Yale graduate who was like trying to find herself and like you're in your mid twenties, like you should have figured something out by now. I mean, she got married so young though, while still in college. Like there's definitely I mean, even I had like so did, a So did Bill Murray's character. He said as a teenager he got married. Oh, he was a teenager? He was yes. playing much younger than he actually was then. Okay, so let's figure this out for a second. I might need to cut this out because it might not be very interesting. So Charlotte was supposed to be 25, I think. Mid-20s? Mid-20s. She was a recent... She graduated last spring. And I think this movie was supposed to take place in the spring. So she graduated at 22 or 23. I'd make her 24, 25. And she said that she's been married for about two years. It was two. Okay. Okay. So she's... Early 20s. She was married in her early 20s. Graduated a year or so later, I guess. Okay, and if he's a teenager, so he's been married for 25 years. Let's say he got married at 19. Let's go on the high end. Sure. So he was 44, and she was 24, let's say, to make it easy. That's not that bad. I mean, 20-year age difference in a relationship, it can kind of go either way. It's a little on the creepy side, but I don't know. Well, I think, I think that's another thing that's interesting about this is that, I mean, if you stop and think about it and do all the math and you know, pull out your calculator, then yeah, it's probably creepy. But no one was, no one was creeping, I guess. That, that was going to be the next part of my question because I feel like it could easily go, especially I was really debating if I should bring this up in casting or in writing, but I think since we're kind of already talking about it, we might as well. How? Well, first of all, okay, so we've established roughly 25 and 45. Sure. How, I'll go with that. Let's, let's start with Bill Murray. How old do you think Bill Murray was when he filmed this movie? This was 15 years ago? Yes. 50? Close. He was 52. Okay. How old do you think Scarlett Johansson was? She is two years younger than 
you, younger than me. So how old do you think she was when this was filmed, not when it was released? 17. Yes. Does it get creepier now? Because like, it shouldn't matter. That's not the age of the characters. But the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, she's 17 and he's 52. This is weird. But it doesn't come off as weird in the movie. So this is a right. really interesting. That's why I wasn't sure if I should talk about this in the writing or in the acting. Because I think they're both really well cast for these roles. They look the ages they're supposed to play. They play the relationship really well. Writing-wise, it doesn't come. They acknowledge the age difference. But it's not, you know, it's not creepy. It never comes off as like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Right, right. She was 17 and he was 52. But the characters were like 25 and 45. It's, it's like, it's really wrinkling my brain over here. I'm like, I don't know how to feel about this. Um, so that was the only, I still. I, I don't know. Like, I've seen like Harold and Maude. And that's a way bigger age difference, but that's the whole and it's reversed. That. That's like the whole point of that movie is like, here's a teenager and an elderly lady. What's going to happen? Like, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but that's what the movie is about: is this relationship between a teenager and an elderly woman? That's a very different movie than. I mean, the age difference is still part of the plot, but it's not supposed to be a teenager and a middle-aged man. It's supposed to be a twenty-year-old and a guy going through a midlife crisis in his mid-40s-ish. Okay, I guess that's one way of looking at it. So, sticking with that topic, do you think you would interpret that differently if this was written and directed by a man? No, I don't think I would. All right. I think a lot of other people would. On to the next topic, I guess. (laughs) That's why you're the one who asks the questions, and I am not. I think think probably particularly... I have to be very careful how I phrase this. I mean, this movie starts with like 30 seconds. We'll get to that. Of her butt and transparent undies. We'll get to that because, there, well, now we're opening a whole can of worms because there's a lot of like film theory. All right, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the uh, like, like aesthetics. How, how, how deep should we want to go here? I was going to go camera work. I had a note on that for camera work. Um, yeah, well, work we'll get to too. it. I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, we'll probably have a lot of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it all over the place. I do think I will say, I don't think people would have cared when this movie came out, but I think as this movie approaches its 15th anniversary this year in this climate, had a male written and directed, I think it would get more heat for casting a 17-year-old to play this part. I don't think anyone particularly cares and I mean, and to be fair, she was like a month away from her 18th birthday. It's not like she was a 13 year old or something like, right. and it's all, and they didn't do anything. They kissed one. Like it's, right. but still, That's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, I don't know. There's a lot of different directions to take this conversation and I'm yeah. not entirely certain where to go. And I think it's hard to say because this was 15 years ago and because Scarlett Johansson has become Scarlett Johansson in the meantime, because this was only, well, I'll get more into it in the next. I keep saying All right, that. Next, next. We'll, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it. I did think also along the lines of character likability, you had mentioned, I find it interesting that, that we kind of went opposite directions, but I think <laughs> most couples where you're like, he cheated, he's instantly, you know, more unlikable, which is completely fair. Like that was yeah. a, that was a disgusting thing he did, especially with the conversations that he's having with his wife this whole time. Like it's, that was not a cool thing. That was not okay. But that said, I do think this movie does a really good job of 
the little bits and pieces that we get of their relationships is like, oh, they are stuck in these just stuck. I mean, like I said, I think we just interpreted things really differently. Cause like, like with, uh, with Charlotte's husband, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's definitely just going out and cheating on her. Not that that makes it okay for her to go and do the same to him, like get a divorce and, and move on. Like, don't just what, like whatever, there, there are better ways to handle it, but he, he was pretty skeevy. He was definitely doing something, I think. Huh. Okay. And then with the the Bob character is a lot harder because we have, I mean, they've been together for 25 years. We have no idea their history. And I'm sure, like I said, I just, there's, there's no way yeah. this is the first time he cheated on her. He does this every time he goes out of town. Not with Scarlett Johansson. That, that was different. But the one night stand with the lounge singer, I'm sure he does that at least once a year. Like, like that's just the, okay. that, that's, I feel like that's what we, especially with like, like a Christmas present for his penis. <laughs> But like that look he gets when he sees the champagne in the window and hears her singing, like he just gets this look on his face, like, ah, oh, damn it, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay. the look on his face, okay. like. So like, yeah, that's not a likable thing. But God, that wife is just the worst. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure she wasn't like that when they got married. I'm sure he's done stuff to make her yeah, behave. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm sure it is a mutually unhealthy relationship. I have no doubt. I'm like acting like they're real people. This is like, <laughs> like, like I'm not taking sides. They're both my friends. But like, I mean, she was like that note, like, oh, you forgot his birthday. I'm sure he'll understand. Like, did you not talk to him about this? He's your, right. like, presumably he's a young kid. And then like, oh God, what was yeah, like, every the, single interaction with her is just like, God damn worst. it, bitch, calm the fuck down. Right. God, in the worst, he's like, he's like, oh, I think I want to take care of myself. I really like the way, like, the Japanese diet. Can we, like, maybe integrate some of that? Like, oh, if you like it so much, why don't you just stay there? It's like, yeah, why don't you just stay there? <laughs> I mean, he's got the kids. So, like, he's, I think the, yeah, he doesn't say this in the movie, but I think it seems kind of clear, at least, that, like, they're staying together for the kids. And I'm sure yeah. she's staying together with him because of the money. I'm yeah, sure, he's, he's giving $2 million to turn right and, yeah. uh, <laughs> Be enthusiastic exactly. to the camera or whatever. Um, but so. yeah, you mentioned that they're stuck. And I think uh, Charlotte actually uses that exact word. Yeah. And that scene that's like uh, cameras like top down on the bed. Mm-hmm. I think she even says like she's stuck. Yeah. I, and I think she means stuck in life, but right. definitely in the relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think for her, I mean, her life is her relationship at this stage in her life. Like she's finished with college. Yeah. Now what? She doesn't have a job. She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. She's just following her husband around the world while he runs off and does who knows what. Ideally, just work, but he's still <laughs> leaving her alone. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think stuck in a relationship and stuck in life for her in, in this stage of her life is the same thing. I think she's just like, what do you do? Yeah. So I do think, even though it's like Bob's character was definitely had his unlikable moments. Like, I feel like this movie did a good job of like, okay, this wasn't a good thing that he did, but you can see the circumstances of his life that drove him to it. Does not make it okay. Doesn't make sure, it acceptable. Sure. But you can understand it and be like, okay, that was the wrong thing to do. And not even the wrong thing done for the right reasons. It was just wrong. And yet it's like, but I get it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the movie did do a good job of that. Yeah. 
And especially, I mean, the, the movie honestly probably went a little over the top in making the wife a bitch. Like, I think the, I think Scarlett Johansson's husband, or Scarlett Johansson, uh, Charlotte's husband, I think the movie did a better job of being a little bit more subtle. I mean, like, we have very different interpretations of that character where I'm like, oh, yeah, he's definitely yeah. running around. And you're like, he just seems like a busy guy. Either of those could be true. Like, it's, right, it's left right. a little bit more open. Whereas with the wife character, it's like, God, she's just a bitch. <laughs> Like, yeah. I, I think I even said that at one point in the movie where I was just like, simmer down, bitch. And I feel like I don't I don't yeah. throw that word around that's, that's easily. Not but what you would say. Uh-uh. Yeah. But she was just which the movie needed, because otherwise he would be unlikable. But it also I think plays to Bill Murray's strengths as playing that kind of almost like weary, like beaten down. Oh yeah, the tragic comic, like you yeah. said earlier, or just tragic at times. Yeah. Yeah. Man, if only we could talk about casting sometime. I know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. There's still so, Yeah, man, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Uh what were the uh outliers for the writing and characters? So I actually it's funny you ask. I originally gave everything perfect tens for this category. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely a movie. This is a character study film that thrives on these characters. But after talking about it um, with the, the conversation we just wrapped up about character likability, um, I did knock it down to a 9.5, largely because of what I was saying about the wife character being a little too over the top yeah. to compensate for Bob's unlikable actions. Uh, that could have been a little bit more subtle. Um, I don't yeah. know. Maybe they could have just dropped one of those scenes with her or something. Because it was a little... Uh, it didn't bother me at first. And then in hindsight, it's it's bothering me. So I don't know if that, I got a 9.5, which I guess is my outlier for worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's so terrible. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. There are a couple of things. I know we've been talking for a little while about this already. But there's the writing categories for this movie are going to be pretty dense. Just because oh, there's, yeah. there's a lot. There, there's... Not a lot going on, but a lot to talk about because of the... Yeah, that's, that's strange. There's so little plot and honestly, I think less dialogue than most movies have, maybe. That was that was going to be my next thing is just let's talk about the dialogue a little bit. It's so weird. Because um, there's definitely like the dialogue is sparse to say the least. Like there is yeah. not much dialogue and half the dialogue that's in the movie was ad-libbed particularly Bill Murray's yeah. scene, like the, the photo shoot. I'm pretty sure all of that was ad-libbed. The, when he's shooting the commercial, I think a lot of that was ad-libbed. Like a lot of his scenes, the scene with the prostitute, I'm pretty sure a lot of that was ad-libbed. Like, yeah. like that was one of the reasons Sophia Coppola wanted to cast Bill Murray. And she's like, oh, oh he, yeah. can, he can bring something to the table that I can't or whatever. I don't want to put words in her yeah. mouth. But, you know, like he can bring something to this. Yeah, I, I think we talked a bit about this earlier. I think it's, I said something like, well, Bill Murray's going to improvise. Yeah. And if you try to stop that, then first of all, you're an idiot. And secondly, yeah. you're going to have a shitty movie. Right. You, you have to, you have to exploit that. That has a negative connotation, Just but take advantage. Take advantage. I guess that yeah. Has a little bit of a negative too, but uh, you have to, to, to make the best of that. As if there's a worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's, there's not a lot of dialogue and most of it, like I don't have a chart, like a diagram or whatever, but I'm guessing a large percentage of it percentage of it is Bill Murray just improvising in the more comedic scenes yeah. that don't really 
play into the like the heaviness of the emotional connection and yeah and, and the whole downer of it all it's not a downer movie <laughs> i find this to be a really uplifting movie it's about the beauty of connection oh i don't think it's mopey at all whatever so on the note of of the sparse dialogue i do think it is worth talking about i don't want to talk too much about it because it's talked about so much and i think it's Mm -hmm. um, ignoring some of the the stronger aspects of this movie but let's talk just a little bit about the whisper at the end i I don't even really want to ask like like what do you think he said because like does it matter i don't think it does do you that's that's something that yeah, I was actually thinking about this yesterday when we watched it. You know, sometimes when it comes to art, the idea is that like the the interpreter is who gives it meaning, and it's your interpretation, and however you interpret it is true or correct or that's true for you or whatever. I find that kind of unsatisfying. I think that's a little bit of a cop out, a little bit of bullshit. I think that can be really fun as an interpreter to come up like the wildest, craziest interpretations you can. But I think that's kind of a cop out. Let me posit this then. Do you think that moment requires an interpretation or can it just stand alone? No, I don't think it does. I don't either. I I think it's just like, do do they like watermelon flavored bubblegum? I don't know. (laughs) Am I going to be lie awake at night? Because I don't know. That's what he's whispering in her ear. (laughs) My favorite flavor of bubblegum is watermelon. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Yes. And then brought tears to her eyes and they Mm -hmm. they walked away with uh, knowing glances back at each other. (laughs) I think one of my... Team bubblegum. Honestly, since, since we're talking about something silly, one of my favorite jokes when a Avengers first came out and I saw something on Reddit where somebody was like, God, what did Black Widow whisper to Hawkeye when they're taking Loki away? And then like the very first comment was like, she's repeating something Bill Murray once said to her in Tokyo. <laughs> 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 it's one of those things like everyone kind of wonders it but like does it really matter i don't think it does and i actually i guess that's like a thing i mean everybody i guess not everybody because neither of us seem to but most people want to know what was said and i guess technology is to a point where like this sounds like a bad csi like zoom in <laughs> and enhance but i guess it's possible now to enhance the audio to a point, you can't quite make out what they're saying, but you can, because he did whisper, he ad-libbed something, he whispered something to her, it just, the audio didn't pick it up all the way, and, right. she, and they were going to go in and dub something in, and then Sophia Coppola was like, you know what, this actually works really well without it, whatever, <laughs> like, she was yeah. fine with that, um, which I think was the right decision, but there's a couple of different, and I don't even want to, like, repeat them here, you can find it, if you just Google, what did Bill Murray whisper, I'm sure it'll come up in a million yeah. different results, like, like they've enhance the audio to the point that you can hear it and it's so unsatisfying like and i didn't go looking for it i was just looking at different articles you know trying to you know because this is a 15th anniversary and this is the type of movie that gets analyzed a little bit more than some of the other movies we reviewed for the podcast i wanted to do a little bit of research oh, a little um, bit. it wasn't that much but i read some articles and a couple of them mentioned like what was actually whispered quote unquote and i'm like i didn't want to know that like i felt really like cheapened and like i didn't yeah, like, like I didn't, I didn't even know that. Why did you tell me that? Like it was almost like somebody giving a spoiler, or because like right. I hate spoilers, and it's not a spoiler. I've seen the movie, but like, 
It's like or, or like or, somebody or, telling or, a secret or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to know that about them. But like like them. seeing a magician's trick, like how they did yeah, it. How something. they did it. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so so I don't recommend going out and trying to find out what was said because what's the point? It it plays out perfectly. It's just like we are outsiders observing this beautiful moment between yeah. them. We don't need to know what they said. It sounds a little ridiculous, and I realize that, but I feel like fictional characters deserve some privacy if that was the intent <laughs> of the movie. Okay, and I really feel like in that moment, those characters deserve their privacy. They were having a private moment that we observe from the outside and that's all we get. And I feel like that's okay. That's and I, and I feel like these people like taking the audio and enhancing it and be like, Oh, here's what was really sad. I'm like, no, you just broke their privacy. I didn't want to know that. That's neat. That's that, a I neat mean, that's, way of looking at it. That's how I see it. I, I was like really like offended is a harsh word. I don't know that I was necessarily offended when I read it, but it was just like, like somebody whispering about like a friend of mine yeah, behind yeah. their back. And I'm just like, why would you tell me that? It's, 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 yeah, slightly taboo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I get didn't that. Want to know that's, that. that's neat. That's a neat way of looking at it. Uh, to me, it, it sort of seemed like taking this in a completely different direction, like, like horror movies or like Jaws, the movie. Like, you don't need to see the monster to be afraid of it. And, and, okay. and showing the monster. Are you, are you afraid of love? Cheapens this is, it. I feel I should know. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> It's like one of those things, like, if, if you know, 30 seconds into the monster movie, you have the monster jumping on screen with, like, all the lights on them. Like, where do you go from there? What What is, like, you spoiled it. So I, I think it's very similar. And maybe we're, okay. we're actually saying the same thing, maybe, in a different direction. Yeah, okay. But it, but it was like... Like we've also uh, reviewed some X Files, and uh, like one of the things that comes up is like it's kind of neat to not to not see the bad guy, to be a little like you're creeped out, but you don't see them. Yeah. And so this is like almost the opposite. Like you feel the positive emotions without really seeing and hearing the reason for. You, you kind of fill in the blank with your own imagination, which is always going to be more personal than whatever. Bill Murray is whispering to uh, Scarlett Johansson on a, to- uh, a busy Tokyo street. You know, I just, I have two things to add. So the first is you had talked in the last category a little bit. And I was like, no, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> you had talked a little bit about, you know, how, the, how these characters, you know, Sophia Coppola probably didn't sit down and write character sheets. You know, the characters didn't develop in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting to note. Normally I kind of roll my eyes at this kind of thing, but she's been very open about about explaining her inspirations for the movie. And it seems pretty pretty cut and paste that this is exactly what happens because because she said it's exactly what happens. Yeah. This movie is, is very uh, not autobiographical, but very very much so based on real people. Like this is very much so, you know, Charlotte is Sofia Coppola. Okay. Like, she's blatantly writing her own experiences into that character. I don't know where Bill Murray fits, if he fits at all, if it's just a fantasy. She did seem to have quite a crush on him and all the special features. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I don't know where that character fits in, but then, like, the... This is where it gets really interesting, to me at least. I don't normally care about this kind of stuff. Like, people try to apply the same kind of thing to, like, Greta Gerwig and Lady Bird, and I'm like, it's... It's semi-autobiographical. That's good enough. Like, that's yeah. that's all I need to know. Yeah. But this movie gets, like, so specific and so interesting because Sofia Coppola was married to Spike Jones, 
who directed her and a bunch of other like directed uh, being John Malkovich. Like he's done some very yeah. Wow. Yeah, very very different, very um very unique style. He's, yeah. he's he's very talented. He's one of my favorite directors, even though he hasn't directed much. He's done a lot more music videos than movies. Um, but she was married to him when she made this movie. And this is so that I'm kind of going in two different directions here. So the character of like the photographer husband was very much so based on Spike Jones. Okay. Like she was in this marriage and he was off doing his own thing. She was off doing her own thing. She felt very alone. Like it was very, and she was still married to him when this movie came out, but divorced him by the time it was like in theaters, like it didn't, okay. di- well, it didn't last. Did not help uh, maintain the marriage. I, I, I'm imagining not. Um, although he was like in Tokyo film, like not filming, <laughs> but he was like with her when she was like setting up shop or whatever for the movie. So I don't know. But anyway, what I find particularly interesting, do you know what Spike Jones was working on while she was working on Lost in Translation? Spike Jones, who did, Being John Malkovich in 1999, a bunch of music videos, eventually did Her, which we're going to review next week because it's often seen as like a a companion piece to or a response to this movie. Uh, Do you know what he was working on? I do not. Jackass. (laughs) The TV show Jackass. (laughs) Which he (laughs) co-created. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh. So I imagine, I imagine that's got to play into this movie somehow, as far as that character goes and his personality and. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I've got to look up his uh, body of work. It's interesting. I'm not gonna lie. The movies he's done that I've seen, I don't even think I've seen all of them, but his movies are phenomenal, including her, which was his his writer debut. Like he directed it, and then that was his his script debut, and it like won the Oscar, and it's a, a beautiful movie. I can't wait to talk about it. But then he also did a bunch of like skateboarding videos and Jackass. Like wow. he's an interesting guy. Um, really not that there's anything wrong with skateboarding videos or Jackass. It's just very very different from being John Malkovich and her. People have depth, I guess. Who would have thought? But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, and another interesting thing: a lot of people, and this is where it starts to get to where I'm like, do I care? I don't know. But a lot of people say that the Anna Ferris character, the uh, like Ditsy mm-hmm. blonde actress, like, oh well, that's clearly based on Cameron Diaz because. Spike Jones worked with Cameron sure. Diaz on being John Malkovich, and a year later she wanted to do Charlie's Angels, which seems like a pretty close parody of what the Anna Ferris character yeah, it does. is portraying, yeah. and seems like a pretty uh, pretty close match personality-wise, but Sophia Coppola denies it. She's like, no, 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 it's just a generic stock character, and I'm not sure if she's lying because she doesn't want to burn bridges with anybody, so it's not a particularly positive portrayal of the character. Um, or if it was completely accidental, she didn't even realize she was doing it. I think either are likely, but I think there's a connection there. And I don't even know if, like, I don't think Spike Jones had any kind of relationship with Cameron Diaz. So it's not like he cheated on her with her. That was a lot of pronouns, but you know what I'm trying to say. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. Yeah, once again, you interrupted my interruption. (laughs) Why are you so impolite? Uh... (laughs) Yeah, it could be about her without being about her specifically. It's it's sort of like it's so so generic. The hot blonde in some sort of action karate motorcycle gun 
movie that's pretty freaking generic and then like cameron diaz playing that at this time in history yeah so i could see how it would it would not be about her but at the same time every single thing about that character would match cameron diaz in charlie's angels 100 percent. sure just because that's that's the industry that's the times sure it, it's, it's I, think one it's, of, I think it's pretty much Sofia Coppola's argument is like, no, it's just the ditzy blonde actor. That's just an archetype. Right. That, and that's very right. similar the, to what you're saying. Right. The, yeah. uh, the L.A. Valley girl who does yoga and walks her dog yeah. is into <laughs> karate. <laughs> yeah. I did love there's deleted scenes on the DVD. And that one, it goes on way too long. I'm glad they cut it down. Yeah. But I do love that in almost every answer, she manages to fit in karate and yoga and walking her dogs. Like yeah. every single answer to every single question. It's like, well, I like to do yoga and I walk my dogs and I do karate. <laughs> yeah. Like, like just no depth there whatsoever. Like, and I think also part of why I feel like it's got to be rooted in real life is because that scene went on for so long. I don't know if it was scripted or if Anna Ferris was just asked to improv. I feel like it could be both. If it was was scripted that long, it is personal. You don't write that much about a character and have it not be personal. So the last thing I wanted to ask, and this one I think is really interesting to talk about because this movie is is now 15 years old. I think it's interesting to talk about in retrospect especially. But this is uh, something I don't think you're going to care much about (laughs) one way or the other. But how do you feel, I guess I'll phrase it, kind of openly like I did in the last category. Do you feel like Japan and the Japanese culture was portrayed positively or the butt of the joke through the whole movie? Or both, I guess. Like like how I guess just how do you feel? Huh. Well, I don't know about positive. I don't think it was the butt of the joke. When I watched it, I saw that it was a fish out of water story in a lot of ways. Maybe it's Japan, maybe it's uh Nigeria, maybe it's Berlin. I don't know. There's there's always going to be, things are always going to be lost in translation. Yeah. And you're always going to be homesick. I, I think that came through very strongly. I don't know about being portrayed positively. I think that was your question. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they didn't mention that this is a society, a society that has almost no crime. Yeah. Like, like I don't know. How, how do you portray that positively? Do you just have someone st- uh, citing statistics? I guess I mean, I guess by positive, like, I don't necessarily mean that type of, of positive portrayal. I guess I mean... Like a place you want to go to or live in? Or these are good people? They're the good guys? I, I guess it just goes back to, to were they just the butt of the joke? Or were they were they more of a prop than, than characters? Is a phrase that I've used. I've I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Or or if if they are the butt of the joke, they're the butt of the joke as much as any other culture is. Okay, that's interesting. That's kind of how I read it too. And I I should be clear. I'm saying this having never visited Japan. I have no Japanese heritage. I I don't know much about Japanese culture. So pure pure outsider point of view here. But it did seem very much like I feel like the same story could be told about two Japanese people coming to New York. Oh, yeah. And, and the New Yorkers would be portrayed as, I guess, just different is the word I'm looking for. Just that yeah. kind of culture oh, oh, yeah. shock. Yeah, or, definitely. Where I kept thinking throughout the whole movie, I don't know why I kept thinking this, well, other than because this is me we're talking about, but I kept thinking like, 
Oh, I feel like this is probably kind of similar to what like ABBA felt when they were touring in <laughs> America or something. That's, that was the example that kept popping into my head. Like, I just, I feel like, like, yes, Japan and Japanese culture maybe was used more as a prop than as, as developed characters. But I feel like because this is a fish out of water story about people who can't communicate in the culture they're embedded in, who can't. Right, right. Know, can't get to know these people on a more personal level because they can't communicate with these people that regardless of what two cultures you're comparing and contrasting it's gonna have you're gonna have kind of stereotypes or or archetypes oh, yeah. or whatever the case may sure. be um, sure. and i also think so i read a handful of reviews from japanese people whether they be people who were living in japan at the time or japanese american or whatever the case may be it was a variety of different people with japanese heritage writing about this movie and the reviews were pretty negative across the board in, in 2003 because of the, the representation of the Japanese culture and betraying it. One of the most common things I heard was that they, you know, this movie shows things like the temples and the flower arrangements, things like that, that are, you have more ancient traditions uh, and they portrayed that in a really positive light, but then portrayed everyone else in Japan as, you know, but very sexual and very, um, you know, very into video games and, and things like that. And it was like they they had forsaken their tradition to go this other more worldly route. What? Uh, I mean, this is this. I'm I'm talking about the this is the Japanese perspective of this movie in 2003. I'm specifying the in 2003 because I think I think America has changed in the last 15 years to the point where. The, the differences aren't as pronounced. You know, it's not like, oh, look at all these crazy different people doing different kinds of things. It's like, this really seems pretty much exactly like what you would see in a lot of places in America. Even the the talk show that was going out of its way yeah. to be like, this is so out there. I'm like, if you've seen YouTube, there are so many. <laughs> yeah. And they get celebrities. It's not like this is just random YouTube channels doing whatever. Like, they get celebrity guests and do weird things. And it's not that much different. But it's American. Um, so I feel like maybe that's clouding the perspective that like these, you know, what was considered archetypical Japanese characters or stereotypical Japanese characters in 2003 don't seem so specifically Japanese now to, to an outsider looking in again, no, you know, never been to Japan, not super familiar with the culture, but it just seemed like as an American watching this movie in 2018, it's kind of like these characters don't seem that outlandish. They don't seem that different than, a New Yorker or even someone in Sacramento. It's just that they can't right. communicate. There's just a communication barrier. Yeah, that's what... And I don't know, I don't know, because, I mean, I was 15 in 2003. Like, I, I was a teenager. I wasn't thinking about the world at all, really. I was a teenager. I was in high school. I was thinking about myself, <laughs> probably, you know? Yeah, right, right. So I don't know. I don't know what the cultural differences were like then versus now. I don't know. It's just something to consider. Like, for as much critical acclaim as this movie got, pretty much across the board, anybody um, anybody with Japanese heritage who is familiar with the culture and spent time in Japan who watched this movie, I had some, not necessarily across the board saying the movie was awful, although some of them did, but there were definitely some complaints about the, the way the Japanese culture was portrayed. So I thought it was worth talking about, but having never been to Japan and having limited knowledge of the culture... I don't know how much farther we can really get in this discussion, but I thought it was worth talking about. All right. So all that said, I guess it's finally time to wrap up this category, unless there is anything else you would like to add. Nah, I'm good. 
right. What was your total score for writing characters? Holy shit. We're only on the second category. Yeah. 6.6 ex- exceeds expectations, just like the previous category. All right. Okay. Uh, I gave it a, a 9.9. It was almost perfect. It was just that character likability that after talking about it, I realized I couldn't quite give it a perfect yeah. Um, so it was almost a perfect ten and everything. That was my original score, but I knocked down character likability. All right, so that is going to bring us to the next category, which I think we've actually already talked a decent <laughs> amount about. So maybe we won't have too much to say. I hope um, we talked about everything because we said a lot of words so far. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be acting and casting. Um, oh, so yeah. I have I have two categories that got a ten and three categories that got an eight. So let me tell you about my only subcategory that got a perfect 10. In the whole movie? In the whole movie. Wow, okay. Face acting? It is face acting. (laughs) I didn't mean to spoil it for you, but your pause was a little long. Because I was waiting for you to complete my... (laughs) Sandwiches? Yes! That is actually what I was thinking of. Oh, man, that was good. Uh, Yes, face acting. First of all, Scarlett Johansson immediately, like... On a scale of one to ten, like plus two, which is bonkers. I don't give plus twos, especially at seventeen. Yeah, like this was. I think this was only the second movie she filmed. Ghost World came out first, and I yeah. could be wrong about okay. the order of filming. She might have filmed Ghost World first, and it just hadn't come out yet when they filmed it. Okay, yeah, she looks maybe. A little, little younger, about the same age in Ghost World, yeah. She looks like the same exact now. Like, she's not aged. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson, man, her face acting. Like, she just nails it right out of the gate. Uh, like I said, if it has Scarlett Johansson and it has her face, <laughs> plus two out of ten. So her is going to be an interesting one to talk about next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Man, we found so many of her movies just like I know. lined up. It wasn't intentional. It just worked out that way. I'm not sorry about it. No, you don't have to apologize for your crush on Scarlett Johansson. Who doesn't have a crush on Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, that's true. Scarlett Johansson is an is an obvious plus two. And uh Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray, that dude. I think we've said tragicomic a few times. Did he define that genre? If not, did he perfect it? He probably perfected it. Did he not personify it in everything since uh, Wes Anderson's Rushmore? He's been in a few things that weren't. It was really... Yeah, his his career took an interesting turn. Because he started with Rushmore, and I believe we saw this earlier. It was either 98 or 99. Yeah. And then he was in this in 2003, and then he was in Broken Flowers in 2005. Oh, yeah. And I think after Broken Flowers, he was definitely... And he had been in a few Wes Anderson movies between there. I think World Bombs was 2002. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was definitely between, between Rushmore and Broken Flowers, it was kind of a steady build to like, oh, this is his thing now. He's a tragic comic. Yeah. Garfield thrown in there, which is... I thought he was working with the Coen brothers. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a ridiculous story. Yeah. So this is like in between Bill Murray 1.0 and Bill Murray 2.0. And he just fucking nailed it. Oh yeah. 
Scarlett Johansson nailed it. Everyone just just perfect. Yeah. If this if this movie does not get a ten out of ten of face acting, then I don't know what face acting is, or I don't know what the number ten is. Well, I also gave it ten, so you don't have to question semantics. All right. Okay. <laughs> so we agree on that. What are uh, the lowest subcategories? Or or do you want to talk more about face acting? That's right. I mean, I agree with everything you said for face acting. I really don't have anything to add. And had I gone first, I would have just said, Scarlett Johansson, need I say more? Yeah. The other one that I gave a perfect 10 to was casting main characters. Okay. And I had kind of a hard time giving it a perfect 10 for the reasons I was talking about before of like, she was 17 and he was yeah. 52. That shouldn't be perfect casting. It should be gross and creepy. And yet she comes across as so much older than she is. And he comes across as slightly younger than he was. And like, it works. I don't know. I'm like, I'm very, very conflicted on, on how I feel. And yet I cannot picture anyone else in the role. And they both brought everything they needed to bring. And I don't know. It just, it, it worked. It shouldn't have, I don't think. Right. I do think it's also interesting to note that as of the recording of this review at least and probably this is going to be true for quite a while longer um this is actually bill murray's only oscar nominated performance to date what yeah really dude he's been when was his first movie in the 70s early 80s 80s i'm sure but he did comedy until rushmore academy hates comedies academy. yeah on that note, is there anything else you want to add for acting casting, or should we give our final scores? Uh, other than that perfect 10 for face acting, nothing really stood out for me. All right. What was your final score, then? Acting and casting got in 8.4. Outstanding. All right. That's actually pretty close to mine this time. I gave it an 8.8. .8 outstanding. So what did you think of the cinematography lighting? I really like the lighting throughout this movie. I think it is just phenomenal and some of the most beautiful ever, I think. Uh, I definitely, oh, yeah. um, I gave perfect tens to both mood and beauty. I think that just throughout the whole movie, in those two categories especially, it just does the, a perfect job of, of getting you to feel exactly what you need to feel through, through just the look of the shot. Sure. Like okay. it's just, it's just beautiful and and sets the mood perfectly literally to me yeah well it sounds like it if you gave it a perfect 10 i actually gave this category only one perfect 10 and that's for realism okay. and uh this this category is really like all the things in this grid uh it's kind of difficult for me to judge for this movie especially compared to most of what we watch which is like x-files and the marvel movies this is kind of tricky because this is real life. This is real people. This is real Tokyo. I mean, it's all fake, but, you know, it's we're pretending that it's real. So okay. I, I don't know. That affects how I score uh, some of the categories. But I, I definitely gave this a 10 out of 10, perfect 10 for realism because the lighting is just spot on beautiful i feel like they don't they don't have the tricks that they have with the marvel movies and the x files and so they just have to rely on like natural real beauty and yeah. they do that so well and and so that it gets an easy 10 out of 10 for me 
And all the other uh, categories, subcategories for me were pretty high rated. How about you? Any other outliers? Uh, no, everything was really high. The Everything else was either 9s or 9.5, aside from those perfect 10s for mood and beauty. Um, I definitely love the, the use of light and dark throughout the movie. Like, there's definitely... Uh, a lot of high contrast scenes and a lot of the movie okay. takes place at night, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And within the night scenes, it's interesting to use the word natural when you were talking about the the realism of the movie because the uh, the cinematographer, I forgot to pull his name, um, but the, the cinematographer for this movie insisted on whenever possible using only natural light sources, even when filming at night. And the, the film crew thought he was crazy. So like, this is going to look <laughs> awful. And, and this is the result we got. And it's, it works so well. And it's just, yeah, it just, it just works so well. The only reason I didn't give realism a perfect 10 um, is potentially kind of a stupid reason now that I'm explaining it out loud. But I think it had a little bit too much of a, a dreamlike quality to it okay. to have to have a perfect time, even though it was very, oh. very intentional. So oh, maybe... most definitely during like the, the, the wild night out scene. Yeah. Like, especially. And even some of the scenes where she's just sitting alone looking out the window has kind of a, a dreamlike okay. feel yeah. to it. I don't know, just something about the... The color palettes and the, a lot of it's the camera movement as well, which we'll get into next. Yeah, the color palette. That's I never know where to score that, but that's definitely that's definitely apparent. Yeah, I don't actually have too much else to to say about this category for as beautiful as it is. So I have a little something to say because I changed one of my scores. I'm going to bump the overall lighting to a ten out of ten, just because I think this did an amazing job of having like the natural light falling on the uh, natural Japanese maple leaves in the temples and the, like the, the older Japan, like portraying that. And then it combined that with the, uh, the clubs where everyone was like drunk as fuck and getting drunker and like dancing and singing. And there's like lights and shadows. And now that I think about it, this movie had an amazing uh, gamut of locations and lighting and natural lighting and natural locations and like the most artificial lighting in the most artificial locations. And I think it did a really good job of not really saying like this is good or this is bad, but just portraying everything as it is. And we just kind of take it in as it is. I appreciate that. I think that was really well done. I give this a 10 out of 10 for overall lighting. So what does that bring your total for lighting to, unless there's anything else you wanted to add? So my total for lighting, two tens and three nines comes out to 9.4 outstanding. Very close to my score. I gave it a 9.5 outstanding. What? You still managed to have a higher score than me? Only slightly. So, cinematography and lighting. That was pretty good. What did you think about the cinematography and camera work? I really liked it for the most part. I'm not even quite sure where to begin. I guess also I did give two perfect tens within this category. The first is for the mise-en-scene. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. It's your favorite category. You love that so much. I do love it. I just hate the word. I wish, <laughs> I don't know why we can't just call it composition, but that's not the agreed upon term or whatever. But I, I just absolutely love the way 
every shot is composed within this movie. Like there, there's definitely oh, yeah. symmetry, which I love. I just can't get enough of symmetry. You definitely get that in this movie. But aside from that, just everything is framed like a painting. And Sofia Coppola studied art in college. She studied like everything in college, but that was one of the things she studied. <laughs> and yeah. and it really shows. Like there's definitely just an appreciation for. Uh, and, and it goes in with the lighting too. Like the lighting contributes to that that painterly like feel. Oh yeah. As well, like absolutely. But the the compositions themselves and just the way people are framed and there's even like you know mirror images you know sprinkled throughout the movie you have the first time um charlotte and bob meet and they're in the at the bar talking to each other and then you have a scene later on in the movie where they're much closer and and you can see how much they've grown together just in those mirror-ish shots sure but that's not the first time they see each other the first time they see each other is actually in the elevator which the elevator plays elevators and elevator doors and mirrors, speaking of yeah. mirrors, plays a huge reoccurring part. Because, like, there's so many times that we see, like, uh, Bob, Bill Murray, pressing buttons uh, in the elevator and then the doors close and we see the, his reflection. Like, that, the elevators and the mirrors and the doors closing and opening play such a huge role. It's really, really, really neat. That shows up so many times, so consistently, so beautifully, so poignantly, 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 so poignantly and effectively. I think that's some good cinematography camera work. I agree. There's also, I, I don't, you didn't love them, but the the shots of of like Scarlett Johansson looking out at the city like that happens a couple times where she's just looking out the window and, mm-hmm. and I really like those scenes because it just shows her her disconnect from from the wall around her like she's alone looking down on this city and even when she's not alone like there were scenes where her husband was in the same room as her and you just hear the snoring and she's just looking out at the city and, and isn't a part of it and uh, so, okay. so I really like those scenes and even just and this is a Sofia Coppola staple, all of the scenes of uh, the characters in cars looking out at the world around them, you know, from oh, this yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. divide, I guess, of the car. And just those shots are just gorgeous and, and you know, play a part thematically for the same kind of reasons because you have both Bob and Charlotte at different points in the movie sitting in cars, looking out, seeing the city, not being a part of it. So, yeah, I just I think that's also great obviously a lot of that's in the script as well but just the way it was shot really conveyed a lot of these themes of isolation versus connection and so you had mentioned briefly the um the opening shot and i do think that's interesting because Mm -hmm. it like you said it's this opening shot Scarlett Johansson in her underwear for like I think it's like thirty six seconds or something like that. It's not Scarlett Johansson in her underwear. It's Scarlett Johansson's ass in transparent undies. Like that's front and center. Sure, but I would argue that it's not. I don't want to say not sexualizing her because I suppose it still is. But I think, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it is. I'm just. Saying I think, as a statement of fact. Sure, but I think well, first of all, that shot is inspired by a painter who painted a lot of uh, specifically painting of women in underwear, uh, which is kind of random. But it's a 
John Caseri. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce his name. I've never heard of him, but I'm not big in the art world. But anyway, so it's based on on those paintings. So that okay. kind of brings in her art background. But then I also think just the the fact that we see that shot for so long that it you know if it was like a 10 second shot and be like oh Scarlett Johansson's ass cool <laughs> like you see it for so long that it's like why are we still looking at this this is uncomfortable this is weird and so I think because they hold the shot for so long and because it's framed the way it is and it's so very much so like a painting more so than a frame of film or a scene of film okay. I don't know I think there's a lot going on as far as uh, I, I think it says a lot without saying anything, which I think is interesting. I'm kind of, you're looking at me like I'm not making sense, and I'm feeling like I'm babbling. No, no, no. But I think the fact that it's, I guess what I'm saying is just the fact that that scene or that shot is held for so long, like, makes you sure. like, why am I looking at this? And it gives kind of a, I don't know if disconnect is the word I'm looking for, but it... Uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I, I, I get what you're saying that sometimes if you look at something for longer, it changes the interpretation. Like, uh, we live near the Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento and there's like some really interesting paintings that are always on display. And there's a few of them that are like, uh, like a bouquet of flowers and, and like this totally opulent, like display of food, like a feast and, and like flowers and bouquets and fish and meat and fruits and veggies and all these things but then but then if you look at it for a bit you realize that everything is like at the peak of ripeness it's it's almost like foreboding like and and even the little placards will say like here's here's how you should interpret this or here's here's how the experts interpret this so like i can see how you could like if you glance at it like that's talking about the paintings, not Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> ass. Uh, if you glance at it, like oh, it's, it's, it's just so bountiful. There's so much, but then if you really study it and you and you look at it for, you know, you don't look at it for two seconds. You look at it for thirty or sixty or ninety or five hundred seconds. It it takes on a different interpretation. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like we're basically saying the same thing. I think if we're talking about the. Uh, first 30 seconds of this movie being Scarlett Johansson's ass through transparent panties, then I guess we are. Then (laughs) uh, I guess we also have to discuss the fact that Sofia Coppola has Scarlett Johansson just walking around in her undies throughout at least half of the scenes she's in. I'm guessing off the top of my head. I don't feel like those scenes are sexualized at all though. I think in a lot of ways it almost shows her isolation because you wouldn't walk around in public like okay. that. You walk around like that when you're alone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's she's like on a deserted island. Why bother with pants? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you see it with Bill Murray's character too. Like he's, you know, sits around in his bathrobe or in his kimono and he's... Okay, sure. You know, he's not always dressed to the nines or whatever when he's alone. Like I think it's just showing their isolation that when you're alone you right don't, you don't bother with pants <laughs> yeah 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 okay i don't know that's how i interpreted it at least i did think another thing that i thought was interesting as far as the camera work goes um and this was the other perfect 10 that i gave was for storytelling 
And that's because I really liked um, just the way the camera worked to to get across the themes of isolation. I already talked a little bit about like yeah. looking out windows and like the you know driving in the car and looking out the window being separated from the city while in it at the same time. Yeah, like that works really well. But also just like more subtle things like the way depth of focus is used, particularly in the scenes where it's okay. Charlotte and. Anna Ferris and Charlotte's husband really mixing up actors' names and characters' names. I don't remember all the names, but oh yeah. But when it scenes with all three of them, it's usually Charlotte is in focus, and then the husband and Anna Ferris are, you know, just a little bit out of focus. So it's like even within okay. the camera work, like she's in her own little world, and these people that she should be close with, or at least certainly her husband, at least she should be close with, are like in this separate world or in this separate dimension or depth of field or however you want to interpret it like they're they are separate from her she's still alone even when she's with them and that but it wasn't used excessively which was good that could get old really fast but especially in the beginning of the movie like the first half before she starts developing her relationship with bob there it definitely uses that a couple times and i thought it was really really effective um and contributed to my perfect time for storytelling within camera work wow okay what did you think of these symmetries that showed up in many, 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 many scenes in this movie? I I definitely like symmetry. Like I said before, wow. I, yeah, I like symmetry. I liked it. I don't really have much to add. Uh, for me, it at times it felt a lot like Wes Anderson, who's almost like a spoof of a certain way of doing things. Although... I don't know if that was established at this time because he didn't. Royal Tenenbaums come out, came out a couple of years before. That was only a second movie. Tenenbaums, still... okay. It wasn't his second. It was Bottle Rocket. Rushmore. Oh, I always forget about Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Well, it, was his, it was his was second very... with Bill Murray. So. Yeah, Tenenbaums was like, yeah, that was that was. I don't. I, I don't get a Wes Anderson vibe from this movie though. There's symmetry. Really? I think it maybe comes in, like, the music and things like that. Like, maybe visually a couple of scenes. Like, the only time, really, is, like, when he's golfing. And it's, like, there's, like, that one brief scene that kind of maybe had a little bit of a Wes Anderson vibe. But it really, I don't know, it wasn't, it didn't have that happy-go-lucky vibe. It didn't have a narrator. It didn't have, I guess those are the two main things. (laughs) But Yeah, like, I guess I don't have a strong reason for judging it that way is it's it just, a judgment well i mean it was rem- it, it reminded me it was reminiscent of wes anderson okay was there anything else you wanted to add for cinematography camera work no not at all all right what was your total score my total score for cinematography camera work was 9.2 outstanding which i agree with I think this is a beautifully crafted cinematographic. I think the cinematography in this movie is beautifully done and it 100% supports what this movie is trying to say and do. Absolutely. And uh, you actually got one that's a little bit higher than me for once. I gave it a, a nine even for me. Still outstanding, very close to your score for everything you just said. All right, so that is going to bring us to the next category, which is going to be editing and special effects. This is really the only category in this entire movie 
where do I have much to say? I I do. Yeah. I guess I don't have nothing to say, but it's very little. I do like the the lingering shots, which I think with with a different editor or with a different director, either way, could have been you know chopped down pretty significantly. So I, so I appreciate that those shots were allowed to breathe and linger and and be expansive, to use your word yeah. from earlier. Um, and I thought the transitions throughout were really nice. The same kind of thing I said for pace before. I think some of the comedic scenes could have been trimmed down. It just, it, it just, yeah, my personal yeah. tastes. Um, and that's really it. Yeah, I pretty much agree. Everything uh, did what it needed to do to tell the story. Yeah, that's about it. Nothing really stood out as all that great or all that bad. All right. Did you have any outliners or did everything have the same score? Uh, everything had the same score except for one, which was slightly lower, and that's special effects. I was curious how you would go about rating that for this movie. Because it's, like I said earlier with several other categories, I don't think there's a lot of special effects, but it's not like this movie sucks because no cars exploded. Sure, I gave I gave everything the same score, yeah. including special effects, specifically because this movie that didn't need special effects which I appreciated. I gave, I gave everything yeah. sevens down the line. I gave everything sevens except for special effects with got a five. All right. I just don't like, I know it's my grid, so I should probably work on some of the wordings a little bit, but I feel like it's not quite fair to penalize a movie for not having special effects when it doesn't need it. So right. I, just kind of, I just kind of gave it the same thing that everything else got. Cause I figure. Yeah. 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 I, I totally get that. And I think we've had this discussion before. Like, are we judging yeah. this movie versus every movie ever made or versus every movie in this category of movies? Uh, so what did your mind came out to a seven, which is by far, not by far, but it's the lowest category for me. Of anything, um, what did yours average out to? Slightly less than a seven. Six point six still exceeds expectations. Fair enough. So that's going to bring us to a category that I'm actually pretty excited to talk about for this movie, and that's going to be sounds. This is actually a movie really? that I I have more than just the the score and soundtrack to talk about for once. I'm so excited. <laughs> so before before I delve in, I guess is there anything? We'll save score and soundtrack because yeah, yeah. I feel like it's it's pretty specific for this movie. Um, but is there anything within any of the other the other subcategories that you want to talk about? I think this is interesting because uh, for me, this sound category and all the subcategories. It's all highs and lows. There's okay. no medium. Well, everything and everything got the same score for me, so okay. this is going to be interesting, I think. Um, well, let's start. I'll, I'll kind of have you lead the discussion if you're okay with that, since I have a lot to say about everything and it's all positive. So let's um, let's maybe start with your negatives or your your lower than average. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say negatives. There's no negatives. Yeah, now I'm not sure why I gave these scores. But uh, sound effects, got a 5 out of 10, meets expectations. Not really sure why or why not or how that could be more or less. There's no explosions or guns or cars or whatever. I mean, they had the sound effects of slowly closing uh, elevator doors. There were a lot of sound effects in this movie, actually, but I think it all kind of gets lumped into sound design. 
because there were there were a lot of scenes that were filmed and they didn't use any of the original sound they ended up like they would just film oh like they redid the traffic sounds or something like that like like the arcade scene for example okay like they took out all the the sound and then like every every game that you hear like that's not the original sound from the games they okay. they redesigned everything i'm assuming for copyright reasons but i don't know for sure and you know added some music wow okay so so in that regard i thought sound effects was was pretty solid yeah i did not know that that's <laughs> this is one of those categories that's so hard to judge because it it's is. one of those things like if you notice it that's an immediate minus one and if you don't notice it that's a zero Plus zero, minus zero. Sure. Okay. That's, but like once you once you can appreciate it, that's like plus three. Sure. And sound, it's definitely something that I have trouble noticing. Yeah. But for some reason, this movie, something about the sound design specifically just really clicked with me like there's thing. Well, I don't want to just completely interrupt you. Was there more you wanted to add? Uh, I don't think i know enough to add anymore okay because really. there were things like uh well i already mentioned the arcade scene i thought the sound design in that scene was fantastic because like the, the cinematography set the mood perfectly mm-hmm. and then they just stripped the audio and replaced it with something else hmm. and that worked perfectly uh and then right before the swim or right before the arcade scene we have the swimming pool scene mm-hmm. Which does some interesting things with the sound design. Like he goes underwater and it's muffled. And then he like as he's swimming, like when his ear goes up just above water, it goes back to normal for a second. Like it's as if you're him okay, yeah, right. hearing it. Things like that. Like that works. Oh, that's subtle. It was pretty subtle, but really effective. And it was brief. Like it wasn't just subtle, it was very, very brief. You know, the whole scene wasn't that long. But yeah, so as he's swimming, like when his ears go above water, the music is normal sounding, and when it's when his ears are underwater, it sounds as if he's under you're underwater listening to the music. So I thought that was phenomenal. And then even things like there's a scene when um when Bob is carrying Charlotte back to her hotel room yeah, yeah, and yeah. like the music is almost like you can hear it, but it's kind of muffled, like as if you've been in a club all night and then you like right. have like that ringing in your ear kind of. I, I noticed that too. I, like there are certain scenes where the sound was there, but it was distorted in such a way that you were there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that, that the sound design and scenes like that yeah. was phenomenal. There was also yeah. a really great use of silence. I think that kind of went along with not necessarily silence, but a lack of dialogue, which is not necessarily the same thing. Like the arcade scene was very loud, but they also like stripped the new sound from it and put in a new sound. Right, right. So that's it, kind it, of it's like... It's all everything else. Right. None of the sound is the people, the, the two characters exactly and even all the scenes where like you know she's sitting in her window looking down you're not hearing any traffic sounds you're not hearing any sounds of the city so there's just like this theme of of silence that kind of contributes to the isolation that they're feeling throughout the movie and then they go to a party and things are really loud all of a sudden because now they're a community or they're at least forming a relationship they have a connection and now sound plays a more prominent role Uh, so i just i just love the sound design in this movie overall and especially because it's something i don't normally notice like i really have to force myself to pay attention to things like that 
And with this yeah. movie, it just sort of came naturally to me. I'm not sure okay. if it just, okay. if, if there's just something about it that inherently clicks with me, but like a personality thing or a taste thing. I'm not sure what it is about this movie, uh, but it really resonated with me. Just the, the sound design, like independent of the music, just the sound of this movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm boring you. No, no, sorry. <laughs> No, I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I think this movie does a, an amazingly good job of having everything sort of line up and move in the same direction, point in the same direction. So like the sound and the visuals and the characters, everything is saying the same thing. Absolutely. And that kind of like amplifies the voices. It's almost like a chorus where everyone is saying the same thing at the same time the same way and so it's louder than any individual thing and i think this that this movie more than pretty much every movie i've seen just is absolutely amazing at lining everything up everything has the same goal whether it's visual or audio or character or anything it all lines up and i think that kind of magnifies each individual thing so I think that, that that can make the sound more apparent and more effective. Even if that's not your jam, that's not what you're, what usually resonates with you. The fact that everything resonates together so well almost forces you to acknowledge that. That makes sense. All right, well, before we get into the music category or subcategory, I should say, was there anything you wanted to add about any of the other aspects of the sound for this movie? Uh, yes. I would like to say that uh, previously I said that I had like one or two or three tens. I'm going to change my mind and add one more for the soundtrack. This soundtrack was so fucking mopey. So you gave it a perfect ten? Yes. Because okay. this movie is so fucking mopey. I, I know. I tried so hard not to say it. I think this... I mean, it has a few high points. Soundtrack's not mopey, though. I think mopey music. I think emo. No, this is like all Morrissey knockoffs. Like almost every single time I heard music, it's like, is this a, is this Morrissey? Is this a Morrissey song? It just struck me that way. And maybe that's me. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe that's my own. Uh, I mean, some of the musical music, past. Some of the music was like that, but there's also a lot of like. I'm not musical, musical at all, so I'm probably making this up. But isn't there, like, French dream wave or something like that? I don't that? know. Every, every, everything. But is that a real genre or something? Sure. I feel like Whatever. it is. I don't know why I think it's French, but there's definitely a dream-like quality to a lot of the music that's not... I don't think it's mopey. I think it gives it that dream-like quality of like, I don't know, like you almost feel like you're floating over the city and just observing everything beneath you. Like that's kind of how I feel when I hear some of that music. Okay. Which is probably comes in a little bit more in the score than in the soundtrack. Um, but I do think some of the soundtrack as well has some of that, like the more long, drawn-out kind of notes and almost yeah. ethereal-ish or sure, something. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, this is... It's very, it, I think it complements the uh, visual aspect and maybe the character arc of being very spacious and expansive. I guess that's the word of the day. <laughs> so I, I think everything meshes together very well. Uh, it's very cohesive in that sense. But this is just, 
like every time I heard any music, I was like, is this Morrissey? This is a Morrissey knockoff. This is a cover of Morrissey. Is this what Morrissey based his music on? It just so fucking mopey. But I think that was appropriate. Were there any uh, lows for the sound category for you? There were not. Everything got the same score for me down the line. Okay. <laughs> I also really like, aside from from the actual just sound of the music itself, just the the way music operates as far as like the the diegetic music. So what I mean by that, like oh, the, yeah. the music that the characters actually hear, particularly in the uh, karaoke scene, yeah, yeah, is yeah. where it stands out the most. Where it really like music becomes this common language, not just in that people whose Japanese is their primary language and people whose English are their primary language are able to communicate, but we see Bob and Charlotte able to communicate in ways they weren't really able. Like that's the scene where they really seem to connect and and express feelings for each other in kind of a jokey, flirtatious way. Sure. But it's very, but it it connects a bridge, not just through the literal language barrier, but through, like in a more emotional language barrier, I guess, or just emotional barrier of of these two characters trying to form a connection when everything around them says it shouldn't happen between the, the age difference, the fact that they're both married, the fact that they're both on vacation very far away from home, probably never see each other again. Oh, like, there's yeah, so yeah. many. All, all the barriers. Exactly. But then all the this, differences. But yeah. still, they as humans who desire connection... Exactly, and and music Can kind connect. of yeah, and music becomes this connection. Even though, like, I forget which songs they pick, but like the song that Charlotte picks is a very modern, youthful song. The songs yeah. that he picks are more representational of his generation. Like, there's right. there's still a gap, there's still a difference in the way they communicate in this quote unquote other language, and yet they're able to form this connection. Right. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting the way that scene worked because it could have just been a silly throwaway scene. And instead of like the scene of the whole movie hinges on like that's, or at least the scene that their relationship hinges on and the whole movie hinges on their relationship. So. Yeah. I, 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 I get what you're, what you're saying there. Cause a lot of the scenes in the party stuff was, was sort of like, there's a generational gap and there's, I don't know, like he's got his family and whatever to deal with. And she's like the wild, crazy youth and, and all that. And, and, and this, this scene, the karaoke scene kind of continued that, but at the same time, like they were each saying in a certain way that they, they had something to give and they had something that they needed and that kind of meshed together. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought that was uh, very well handled and it wasn't like in a creepy way well, like that comes up a few times like this could have been super creepy right and probably should have been super creepy and somehow but, but, wasn't at all yeah but they're, they're both in a certain way in the same in the same situation and if you focus on the situation and the emotions and the feelings then the, the math kind of works out I guess so I really like the karaoke scene. Well, on that note, what did your, unless there's anything you wanted to add, what did your total score come out to? For sound, mine was a 6.7 exceeds expectations. I did give the score and soundtrack a perfect 10 
because it was so fucking mopey, which is what this movie is. But then what drives the score down? I think the soundtrack was perfect for this movie, but it's not like, you know, I'm 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 going to wake up and get ready for work while listening to this soundtrack. I'm not going to lie. I've been pre-gaming the soundtrack and listening to it for the last, like, three days. I have not heard any of that. I know. It's mostly been when I've been, like, editing and stuff, so I'll put my headphones on. But this is one of those things where it's just so fucking mopey. But it's perfect. Okay, keep keep saying that. Yeah. Yeah, I will. You're you're not answering the question, though, of what brought the score down. We've established you like the soundtrack because it's mopey. But why, uh, why did everything else get so low? Overall sound design got a five and sound effects got a five. Uh, and I think that's okay. that's probably just because we've been reviewing a lot of X-Files and Marvel movies where sound effects and being like otherworldly in a certain sense. Maybe I'm just misjudging it. I don't know if you're misjudging it, but you're judging it very differently than me. I gave it nines down the line. Okay score i thought the sound design was outstanding i loved everything it did it wasn't quite perfect but outstanding down the line so your overall sound was 9.5 i'm guessing no it was nine nine oh i thought it was nines down the line all right nines down the line (laughs) well mine came out to 7.6 exceeds expectations 7.6 i thought you said it was a six point something Sound? Yeah. 7.6. Oh, I think you said 6.7 earlier. So aesthetics. Is this a overall thumbs up, thumbs down? What are your thoughts? Overall thumbs up for sure. I definitely prefer the more environmental aesthetics in this movie than the character aesthetics. I think for obvious reasons. You kind of joked earlier about Tokyo being a character in the movie, which which is a, a cliche and yeah. uh, joke worthy. And yet at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it does play such a big role. And not just, oh, yeah. Yeah, not just yeah. Tokyo, the city, but this, I mean, you've got the hotel that they go to and the bar within the hotel and the hotel rooms and the uh, the views of Tokyo, you know, the landscape or cityscape shots and, you know, the, the party scene. Like, there's all these specific locations within Tokyo that all work so perfectly within the movie. Um, so I definitely really like the, the sets, props, and locations. I thought that was just handled really, really well. And, and like everything in the movie, really helped get the themes across and, and tell oh, yeah. us exactly what we need to know and set the mood perfectly well. Like, it's just great yeah i totally agree the locations i mean i was kind of joking about like tokyo being a character (laughs) but that that fish out of water that awkwardness that isolation that barrier language barrier cultural barrier those barriers are very apparent and very important to the story. And that's what it's really a lot of, a lot of this is about. It seems to me a lot of this is about the barriers uh, between people. So I, I think that like everything else in this movie, it just lines up, aligns so perfectly with the core message and themes. Yeah, this category has high scores for me. All right. How did you feel about the uh, the more character aesthetics, the, the hair, makeup, and the costumes? Hair, makeup, and costumes pretty much all exceeds expectations just because, I, I, I don't know, because it does. Or maybe it meets expectations. <laughs> I don't know. Things are what they look like they should be. 
I don't know if that's good or bad, or does that ex- exceed expectations? This this is another one that's kind of hard for me to judge because it's it's so realistic. It's real life. It's real people in real Japan at this time. Sure. I think for me, I definitely agree with what you're saying. But for me, I thought the the uh, the character aesthetics were outstanding because even though it is just portraying real people and it's not doing, you know, it's not like Blade Runner or something like that. Where sure. you've got like, oh, this is what the future looks like or yeah, yeah. whatever the case may be. So even though it doesn't have that kind of character aesthetics going for it, I think particularly with the characters of Bob and Charlotte, like every single detail of their character design, I guess, like goes to showing how different these two people are, which I think is really interesting. Like even the first time, not the first time they see each other, but the first time they talk to each other, you have Bob wearing his full on suit with like a ton of eye makeup on. And then you have Charlotte who like doesn't have any makeup on and is wearing like neutral everyday clothing. Like they're so different. Huh. And and throughout the whole movie, like you see her wearing pretty casual, mostly neutral clothes, and he usually has something that sets him apart. Whether it's the ridiculous yellow and orange <laughs> you know, camouflage shirt that even when he turns it inside out, it's like this super bright <laughs> statement. Probably yeah. more so when he turns it out, because like, why is he wearing this inside out shirt? <laughs> So, like, he's making a statement or the scene when they go to the hospital. He's wearing, like, we both, I think, I think you beat me to it and made a comment. It was, like, right, I was about to say it. Like, he had the craziest shoes on. Yeah. So brightly colored. Like, he just, he always had some extra detail. He was just, just a little extra with his wardrobe. And she was super basic, I guess. I trying to be hip and cool and using these terms. And I'm like, no, even when she was wandering around the city, she was like blue jeans and like a grayish blue button up shirt with a very gray sweater vest. Yeah. So I really liked that detail that, you know, she was very neutral and natural and I don't want to say boring because it's Scarlett Johansson. She's still going to be gorgeous, but you know, just very laid back and he's always, going the extra mile, trying to show off. He's peacocking every step of the way. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I didn't, I didn't really think about that because there's, there's almost like two wardrobes of his. That the, the wardrobe that is like him as the actor, as the businessman, as the, the man-man doing his own thing. And then him in response to Scarlett Johansson's character. And and yeah, in response to her, there's always like a bright flash of color, whether it's his inside out, disgustingly mustard shirt <laughs> or his uh, preposterous confetti shoes. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think I realized that his his wardrobe was so affected by her. Alright, I, I gotta change some scores. Alright. Uh, what were your low scores? For this category. Well, the, the sets, locations, and props, those two scores both got perfect tens. And then for the more character aesthetics, all three of those got 8.5s out of tens. So everything was still very, very high. Okay, not, interesting. Not really anything super low. I kind of, for, for this movie, 
I pretty much just considered the character aesthetics their own thing and the environmental aesthetics their own thing and came up with a score for each because it really seemed like, I mean, they even had, I think the um, person who did hair and makeup was the same person, which is unusual. And I, I don't think the costume designer was the same person. That would just be weird. But it was an indie film. It might have been. It was a very small crew. Yeah. And um, so I think just the, the way the character aesthetics worked together is, and it's, it's just a cohesive movie overall. Like oh, everything yeah. works together. Oh yeah, very much. Um, so more so than most movies, like the 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 you know the way Scarlett Johansson's hairstyle and the way her makeup and the way her clothes like all work together tell us something about the character. And same thing with with the character of Bob, like his hair, makeup, and costumes work together. So so that's why I kind of gave gave the same scores for those two groups within the category. How about you? Uh, sevens and nines mostly. I give it five for costumes because okay, even after what we were talking about, people people wearing the clothes. Okay, I don't know meets expectations. I think that's a fair fair that's score. That's fair. What did you change? I thought for sure it was going to be costumes after you said you changed something. <laughs> it was probably makeup because I remembered how much makeup that uh, Bob wore. <laughs> while uh, shooting the commercial. Sure. That was a lot of mascara. She called him out on it, though, at least. She she said what we were all thinking. (laughs) So, yeah, aesthetics, pretty high for me. What was your total score? For aesthetics, I gave a 7.4 exceeds expectations. All right, it's a little bit lower than mine. I give it a 9.1. Outstanding. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, okay. So after aesthetics, there's impact on film. I'll tell you what I've put down after you tell me what you scored this categorized. In other words, you want me to go first? So yes. you can copy my scores? That is correct. <laughs> Alright, so this one it gets divided up into critical impact, audience cult impact, and historical inspirational impact. Uh, for critical impact, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I honestly don't remember if I looked at Metacritic for this movie or not. I think I did, and it was like an 8 point something or an 80-something, which I then divided and rounded up. If I even looked at Metacritic, I might not have, because this is definitely a movie that the critics really love when it came out, and the critics still love it today. Like, I mean, Sofia Coppola in general is is a critic favorite, as long as she's directing and not acting. So, yeah, so it definitely... Uh, you know, it had a critical impact then, and 15 years later, it still has a critical impact. So, like I said, I don't even remember if I looked at the Metacritic score or not. I kind of went more on gut with this one. And same thing for audience cult impact. It definitely had had a huge audience impact when it first came out. I mean, this movie had a budget of about $4 million. Pretty, I mean, that's still a lot of money, but for a movie, that's a pretty moderate budget. Do you know how much this movie grossed? I'm guessing way more than four million. Way more. It was like 144 million. Wow. That's a lot. That's particularly a lot for an indie film. Like it, audiences loved this movie, and and it really has a cult following that's that's stuck with it. Like 15 years later, people still love this movie. They still talk about it. The soundtrack is like hailed as one of the best. Like it's. You know, there are a lot of different aspects of this movie that people really latched on to. Um, so, so easily 9 out of 10 for audience cult impact as well. Mm. And then historical and inspirational impacts, I also gave it a 9. 
Um, and this one was kind of for, for a, a hodgepodge of reasons. It definitely helped Sofia Coppola's career. It didn't start it. She had virgin suicides before mm-hmm. this, but it definitely kind of solidified her yeah. as like, oh, that wasn't a fluke. That wasn't, she's not a one-hit wonder. She's gone places. But yeah, so it definitely, you know, solidified her as, as someone to keep an eye on. And it, you know, really started Scarlett Johansson's career. I mean, she had Ghost World before this and she was in Manny and Low, which not a lot of people have seen. It's fantastic. I recommend it if you can find it. I seem to remember it was hard to find, but yeah, it's definitely. And I'm pretty, like I said, I'm pretty sure I said this already, but I believe she was cast in Lost in Translation before Ghost World, even though Ghost World came out way before. But I, I could wow. be, I could be wrong on that. It might have been that Sofia Coppola, because I know she, like, she wanted to cast Scarlett Johansson, and she didn't even audition. Like, she was just like find her, ask her if she wants to do it. And she said, yes, specifically because she saw Manny and Lowe, which is kind of weird because Scarlett Johansson was like 12 when she made that movie. And then she, like, Sofia Coppola was like, that's who I want. But she was right, because it's pretty much exactly what we say every time we do a Scarlett Johansson. We're like, face acting, yes. That that was what she saw in Manny and Lowe. So she cast Hmm. her. Um, so maybe she just didn't see Ghost World, or maybe it hadn't come out when she was writing it. But it, I don't know. I don't know okay. the exact timeline. But regardless, it was an early film of hers, and and helped uh, particularly with him because Ghost Worlds. I think it had critical impacts, but nothing like this movie, if I recall. But yeah, so it helps get her career going, and then even with Bill Murray, who had been well established for decades. Oh yeah. This was, you know, a big part of his turn into the, you know, the tragic comic or the more, you know, the, the more serious roles. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was Rushmore before this and that was about it. But yeah, this was definitely a key movie in, in solidifying him as a serious actor and as a, you know, more tragic comic. Um, so definitely influential there. And, and same thing like I was saying with the audience impact as far as like the profit that it made. That was a huge win for independent film. Yeah. And I feel like the soundtrack was really influential, like between this in 2003 and then Garden State in 2004. It's like, and now we have a template for indie film soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And certainly I think Garden State was more influential than this movie, but I think Garden State was probably influenced by this movie in a lot of ways yeah that kind of Um, i kind of thought that about the genre cliches and tropes and twists but then i also kind of thought like i feel like this kind of invented it i think it did in a lot of ways i mean popularized it or was one of the first big ones so i can't i can't fault it for being cliche because sure but but i just had that feeling so but it's good to have it backed up by facts and, and yeah. release dates and whatnot. Yeah, I and mean, I think Garden State had more to do as far as like solidifying and or creating tropes as far as independent film goes. Yeah. But I also think Garden State was influenced by this movie okay. and, and that this movie kind of in conjunction with Garden State was very influential. This is yeah. all me like spouting bullshit assumptions that I have not researched at all. I only know the timeline and it seems to make sense. Yeah, well this so. has definitely stood this test of time. It's not like anyone watches this and thinks like, oh, 2003, bleh. Oh yeah, this this definitely much more so I don't know why I keep going back to Garden State, but I think they're both influential indie films that came out in roughly the same time. And I think Garden State is very specifically a millennial movie and didn't hold up quite as well. I still okay. think it's a great movie, 
But I think no, a lot yeah. of people looking back like, oh, millennial angst, that's all this movie is. And it gets kind of a bad rap. It's partially deserved. Whereas this movie is much more timeless. And, and I think specifically because it deals with a generational gap in a weird way that makes it uh, impermeable to generational differences in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, generational gaps has have existed as long as humans have existed and even before then. Well, yeah, but when you have a movie that's so specifically about one generation, like Garden State, that's very specifically about the struggles yeah, yeah, of millennials. That's true. Whereas with Lost in Translation, it's not about the specific struggles of a generation, it's about the specific struggles of humanity and how these right. two people from different generations deal with right, it. Right, right, right. It's, it's just very different subject matter. It's one of those things that's so so broad and so general that it resonates in a very specific way. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely a timeless movie. Definitely one critics love, definitely one audiences love, has a cult impact very historically and, and inspirationally important. I guess that was weirdly phrased has, has a historical and, and or inspirational impact. Um, So I gave it nines down the line, all nines for me. Nine's down the line. Uh, what you decided to give it as well? You know what? That's the craziest coincidence. That is exactly what I gave it. Unbelievable. I can't believe it. All right. So that's going to bring us to a category that I am excited <sighs> but nervous to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> Prepare to be disappointed. Oh, I don't even want to ask. Overall enjoyments. Overall enjoyments. Overall enjoyment. This is a tough one. Overall, I did not super enjoy this movie. I think that I can appreciate the craftsmanship that went into this movie. I think this is an amazingly well-crafted movie. Each part of it, the visuals, the audio, the characters, plot... I think it's very well crafted and I think that this movie is amazingly good at aligning all of those things to say the same thing. I think this is one of the best examples of having everything align so well to say the same thing. There's very few movies that do it as well as this. Overall, didn't super enjoy it. Mostly because it's so freaking mopey. You gotta I, stop. I'm gonna have to cut out so many of these mopies. I know. It's, it's gonna it's be been, shitty Iron Man all over again. It's been a while since I said it. I think I, I, it's fair to say it for this category. Overall enjoyment. It's, a, it's pretty mopey for me. I think it just doesn't resonate with me as much as it resonates with other people. And I think that's a big mm-hmm. part of it. It's not saying it's a bad movie. It's just that maybe the the feelings or the themes or something doesn't quite resonate with me as strongly as it resonates with other people. I do totally agree that this is a beautifully crafted movie, but so what it, did, it's so not. What did you, you're repeating yourself. I feel like you're yeah. procrastinating giving your score. Uh, overall score for overall enjoyment. Three out of ten. Oh, below you're breaking my heart. Yeah. And this is easily for overall enjoyment. This has got to be our biggest discrepancy. Yeah. Oh man, I knew you didn't love it, but that's harsh. A three? I, I, this is not like, hey, you want to watch an enjoyable movie? 
I got a movie for you. This is not on that list. Hey, you want to watch a bummer of a movie that's an amazing movie? This is totally even, on that list. I think, and, and I don't even know if bummer is the right word. I was going to say, I think what I find so fascinating isn't so much that I enjoyed this movie and you didn't. It's that we seem to have a complete, like, we we both understand the themes and, and the characters. Like, we, we seem to both know what this movie is about. Yeah. And yet there's a fundamental difference in the way we yep. perceive the tone of this movie, maybe? Or the Perhaps. or the optimism level of this movie? Yeah, like there's something. Because you, you keep using words like mopey and, and bummer and things yeah. like that. I'm like, I find this movie to be kind of, I guess, optimistic, or at least there's a sense of hope to it and a sense of inspiration that like okay yeah. maybe, maybe you feel stuck in life and but like there's you know you gotta find the things that give you joy and i guess that's it i don't know i mean it's okay i don't know it's hard to put into words because like what the characters are going through is so foreign to me and yet the feelings that they're experiencing i very much so oh yeah to. like the yes exactly the, the isolation yes. the the feeling alone i spent most of my teenage years feeling isolated and alone yep, yep. and so, so i i get it like i i it resonates with me and yet the the reasons that they feel stuck, you know, I've, I've never been married for 25 years. I've never been right. in an unhappy marriage or even an unhappy relationship. You know, like I, I don't, I, I can't relate to the experiences that they're going through, but the feelings 100%, I, I yeah, get yeah. it and I connect with it. And, and, and I think that, that speaks to how well crafted this movie is. For a while I went to like poetry readings and, and, and all that. And, some people would would have poetry about love or or whatever, and it was it was so abstract and so obtuse and like it was just a bunch of fucking words. But then other people would would have poetry about uh, washing dishes together and like they'd touch hands under the soapy water and like like it was very specific concrete moments. And even though was, I've never experienced those moments, it still resonated. It still sure. struck a chord, and I think resonance. Or resonating is is I think that's a good way of putting it, and it's not good or bad. Like if it if it does or doesn't resonate, that's not good or bad. It's just a that's just a fact. So I I agree that it's really interesting that I think we both get this movie, but we have totally different reactions because yeah. it resonates in a different way. So all that said, I gave, <laughs> I gave overall enjoyment a nine out of ten. Oh. I I enjoy this movie, and this is definitely one. It's not one, you know. It's not Jurassic Park. It's not The Avengers. I'm not gonna sit down and watch it every week. I don't sit down and watch those movies every week, but I could, you know. But this movie, it's like a once a year kind of movie. But I could easily. Okay. I mean, I, I said really? at the beginning of this that I haven't seen it in like ten years, but I feel like I should change that. Like I, this is definitely a movie. I feel like. I mean, like I said at the beginning, yeah. I did, at least for me, watching it at different stages of my life, I have drastically different interpretations of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I can see that. That's a good yeah, point. So, so I think at least every couple of years, you know, it's just a good one to, to go back and revisit and see how you interpret things, see how you relate to the characters and and just see what's different this time around and see it's just a great movie for that. So, so I think for those kind of reasons, I enjoy it and just the the craftsmanship you mentioned quite a few times mm-hmm. that you, you appreciate the craftsmanship, but that doesn't equate enjoyment for you. And I think for right. me, 
I, I wouldn't say it equates enjoyment, but I think it does contribute to it for me. I can look at pretty pictures. Sure. I can be like, okay, maybe the plot isn't that great, but it looks beautiful. But that's how I felt about like Birdman. I couldn't stand <laughs> that movie from a plot perspective. I'm like, I don't care about these people. Okay. I don't care about what they're doing. They're all unlikable. So I, I wasn't doing the grid when I watched that movie last, but like it would get very low scores in writing for me, probably maybe characters that would do okay, but I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care about what's happening, but I could just turn the sound off and look at it and be happy. It is a beautiful movie. Okay. Uh, and in that regard, I do enjoy it, even though I can't stand the script. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very confusing experience. Yeah. And yeah. I definitely weight script enjoyment higher than visual enjoyment. So yeah, it would yeah. still be kind think, of low, but I, I think we both do. Okay, so yeah. I just liked the script more than you overall, I guess. That's a big difference. Yeah. Three versus a nine. Well, I, I think it comes down to resonance. And that's the best yeah. word I can think of. Because it's, it's totally, like, neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not sure. right. It's not wrong. Like, if it resonates, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think we both agree this is a beautifully crafted movie. Absolutely. So before we get into into extra credit and then our total scores, I do just want to ask now that we've gone through the whole grid on, uh, so, well, I guess I should say, you know, as we were preparing to record this review, we had mentioned I've seen I've seen The Virgin Suicides and I've seen this and you've just seen this as far as yeah. Sofia Coppola movies go. I think so. Uh, so... With my experience, I loved The Virgin Suicides, but I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, so I definitely want to go back and rewatch that. Not necessarily for the podcast, although I'm sure eventually I will, but just in general, it's one that I would like to revisit. I think I'm going to add some other movies to my to-watch list. Again, not necessarily for the podcast, but just in general, I think I need to see these movies. So my question to you is, on a scale from, not, not specific to the podcast, I'm not asking you to review them with me, but on a scale of zero to ten... Zero being not at all likely, and ten being absolutely. How likely are you to want to watch another Sofia Coppola movie after this? Oh yeah, I definitely do. Okay. I I don't know which one, but yeah, I definitely definitely want to watch more of her movies. Partially to compare it to see like how much of this movie was the char- was the actors. Yeah. And and like are all of her movies this M word? Mopey. Virgin Suicides probably would be mopey in your... Virgin Suicides. That sounds like that could be a mopey movie. Uh, Yeah, I'm totally into watching more of her movies. All right. All right. So then on that note, I guess, did you give Lost in Translation any extra credit? I gave two points of extra credit. First of all, we all know that I totally copied everything you did for Impact on Film. (laughs) But I do appreciate that this this had a pretty big impact on film. And so I'll give it a point for that. And it's very different than so many of the other movies. It's I'm actually very curious if you if you line this up with like one of the beat sheets, because there's, I don't know, like five or six different ones. And if you lined it up, how well would it line up? I'm actually kind of curious about that. I might actually do that myself. So I gave it a point for that, just being very different. That was really cool. I really like that. I gave it a second point because there was a lot of attention to detail that wasn't actually relevant 
to the characters or the feelings. A good example is the hospital scene where Bob was trying to interpret what the old lady next to him was saying. And yeah. there was these two old ladies in the background who were just like cracking up, but trying <laughs> really, really hard not to. Yeah. And like that was just such a fun little something. And that's just for having Bill Murray and letting him do his thing, I think. But then there was also like a lot of little neat things, like little little Japan things, like uh, the stepping stones across the water and Yeah. Which is double dipping to use a phrase of yours, <laughs> double dipping all over the place in so many categories. But I think that's, it was so excellently done, but I'll give it another point of extra credit. So I give it two points of extra credit. All right. Uh, I also gave two points of extra credit for kind of a myriad of things. Yeah. Uh, the first point is uh, to, to, reuse the phrase you borrow from me uh some some very blatant double dipping into casting and that's oh. um the bill murray's turn to a tragic comic the, yeah. the the contribution to that is 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 worth a little extra credit oh, yeah that's and, true and then i combined it with the fact that scarlett johansson was 17 and playing someone in her mid-20s like that never happens. It should be the opposite. It's always somebody in their 20s playing a teenager. <laughs> it's like, that's, right. that's crazy. And the fact that it worked and that they bypassed all the creepiness. Like, there's so much going into the casting. That's true. There's so many. That's like running through a, a, the field of landmines. Yeah. And, and like, nope, everything's good. Everything's okay. It all works out somehow. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's good. So, I didn't even think about that. I basically gave a, a full point of extra credit, just blatantly double dipping into the the casting for those two reasons, because it's just wrinkles my brain. It's crazy. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And then I gave a half a point to just the dreamlike quality to the film as a whole. It just has mm -hmm. like this ethereal trance-like sure, sure. almost, like between the music and the color palettes and the high contrast lighting like every aspect even just the performances of Johansson and Murray contribute to just this general feeling of like oh this is kind of relaxing right, like, right. like I don't know just how I just like the look and feel of the movie as a whole yeah it's, it's nice I think it's it's kind of a weird mix of like being very here and now while at the same time being this is not the normal here and now. This is not L.A. on a yeah. Saturday night. And I think it does a, a really good job with that. That's Yeah, that's true. That's good. So I also gave a half point of extra credit for... Uh, this is getting pretty nerdy and pretty specific. And for I did a decent amount of research, and this never came up as something anyone else found interesting, so maybe I'm alone in this. But the lounge singer in the bar at one point sings a cover of Simon and Garfunkel's uh, I don't know the actual title of the song but the Sage Rosemary and Time song yeah. uh, whatever it's called Scarborough Fair I think that sounds right but it's a song that's in uh, the movie The Graduate which you know, very oh, yeah. very prominently oh, Simon man. and Garfunkel here comes the get graduate tangent <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not going to go on a tangent. I just think it's interesting. Like, it, it had to have been an homage. You can't have Simon and Garfunkel in a movie without it being an homage to the graduate. 
And the fact that The Graduate is also a movie about generational divides, coming of age, figuring out what to do with your life when you're in your 20s after graduating college, which is what our character is doing. There seems to be a lot of connections between this movie and The Graduate, um, at least theme-wise. And to have that song in there had to have been a deliberate homage and not mentioned anywhere that I found. But I think that was really interesting, and and I love Graduate. It's one of my favorite movies, and mostly just because of how influential it was more than the movie itself. Although it's a good movie <laughs> too. So yeah, so I gave it a half a point of extra credit just for that homage, and and for being nerdy enough to catch that homage, even if it was accidental. But it can't <laughs> have been accidental. It can't have been right. I mean, they paid. I'm I'm sure they paid someone to do that. So I'm sure there's someone somewhere who's like, do we really need to do this? <laughs> like, it's cheaper to I mean, not so, sometimes, do this. Sometimes artists, if they ask permission, like it, like maybe Sofia Coppola went to whoever had the license holder and whoever was the license holder and was like, here's my script. I want this song in the movie. Here's why. Can you do it? I'm like, sure, why not? Like, mm. that happens sometimes, especially for indie movies. I think that happens more often than you would think. Um, but I have no idea if that's what happened with this. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I also think it's a lot cheaper to have covers than to have the original versions, but you yeah. still pay something. I don't know. Um, on that note, what was your final score for Lost in Translation? I totally almost said The Graduate. <laughs> <laughs> My final score for Lost in Translation was 748 exceeds expectations which i don't know i'm not sure about that this isn't a movie that i'm like hey you know what i'm in the mood for i'm in the mood for some lost in translation i could go 10 15 20 years without watching this maybe once every 20 years i'll watch this i don't know but i i I do think this is a very well-crafted movie I think it deserves a lot of praise. Sure. A lot of recognition for what it does well. I just think it's too something. I won't say what. (laughs) There's some adjective I'm not allowed to say, apparently. I didn't say you weren't allowed to say it. This movie is so fucking mopey. A little too much for my taste. I just don't even see the mopiness. I'm so fascinated by this. Cause well, first of all, everyone all the time. No, they're not mopey. Secondly, the soundtrack. It's like a Aww. Morrissey knockoff. Like it's all so goth much, kids. There's so much else going yeah. on, though. Anyway, we're just rehashing yeah, stuff. That is correct. Well, I gave It's actually not as big of a discrepancy as I thought. I think because we agreed so much on all the technical categories, it was just the things like writing and (laughs) overall enjoyment, certainly, that had the bigger discrepancies. Um, But my total came out um, still pretty significantly higher than yours. It was a 90.4 for me. Outstanding, which I stand by. I really like this movie. I think not only is it well-crafted, but it to use a phrase, resonates with me, as we were saying earlier. And it just, um, it's just a great movie. I don't really have anything else to add. It's just a well-made, well-told story that I really like. That's a pretty good reason for giving it a high score. I thought so, too. 
All right, so I think that is finally going to wrap everything up. This is definitely one of our longer episodes. I think this is a movie that we definitely had enough to talk about to warrant a longer movie, um, especially considering we had so many disagreements. That's unusual for us, and it was uh, yeah. a yeah. nice change of pace. <laughs> um, so, so on that note, be sure to stay tuned for next week, where Tristan is going to be joining me again to talk about the 2013 movie Her, we're going to be uh, you know, deep diving into a nitty gritty review of that movie in its own right, but we're also going to be talking about it as a companion film to Lost in Translation, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, Spike Jones, when he's not doing Jackass, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, great director, and you know, he made this movie, he made her. 10 years after divorcing Sofia Coppola, a lot of people say that it's a, you know, either a, a response to Lost in Translation or a uh, an answer to it in some sort of way or, you know, some sort of, uh, in one way or another, you can look at them as companion pieces because they're both films that these exes created dealing with loneliness and isolation and, yeah. and what relationships mean to them. So it's a really interesting. I, I'm really excited. Um, and I think that's going to be a really great episode so be sure to stay tuned subscribe on on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts if you could rate and review this podcast on itunes that would be super super appreciated the best way to get more people listening to this podcast is to get some positive reviews on there um so if you could do that that would be greatly appreciated you can also check out we mentioned a couple times that we've been reviewing some x-files so if you're interested if you're an x-files fan be sure to check out the x-files on the grid comes out every sunday night new episodes going through doing a rewatch of the series from the very beginning we're still in season one it's going great um so yeah check that out and we'll see you next time